Hey guys, uh, Darren here. We have a bit of a special treat for you this week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the wonderful guys, uh, David and Craig over at Well Good Movies, got in touch with us and asked would we like to come on their show and talk about a movie that maybe wasn't on the 250. And myself and Andrew were delighted, we were thrilled, we were honoured by the invitation, and we very much accepted the invitation to crash their podcast. Uh, it was a, a full-form discussion. It ran the full two hours that you would expect from a 250 episode. So we thought that what we'd do is we would share that that episode on our feed now obviously uh well good movies have it on their feed you should absolutely go over check out their podcast uh it's a fantastic podcast a really fun discussion uh craig and david are two great guys they're really really generous and we really hope that we didn't uh harsh their mellow we thought this was a really fun discussion of the full monty a formative british text uh, a really interesting movie to talk about so yeah absolutely check it out and we will be back in two weeks where we will be talking about 12 years a slave with the fantastic lee murky rejoining us from the come and see episode that is a fun discussion I'm, I'm very proud of it i think it's a really interesting conversation about a really important cultural movie and then starting in september we will be going back weekly and we'll be launching a season of back to school episodes looking at the movies that are on the Irish Leaving Cert curriculum. Joining us for that will be the fantastic Connor Murphy, and we'll be taking a look at, in no particular order, Patty Brennock's Rosie, Greta Gerwig's Ladybird, Asif Kapadia's Diego Maradona, Denise Gam's Urguven's Mustang, and Alaya Kazan's On the Waterfront. We have five fantastic guests lined up for those discussions. And then we also have something coming up for Halloween, something a little bit spooky uh, that we really, really, really hope you'll enjoy. Uh, but in the meantime, please enjoy this special bonus episode, taking a look at The Full Monty with David and Craig at Well Good Movies. Thank you so much for having us, guys. Take care. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Well Good Movies podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it, here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. I mean, this is an audio medium, but... We have those sorts of bodies, us four. <laughs> Not every man well, does. Welcome to the 250 podcast where we talk about men's bodies. It's one of our <laughs> big recurring We're glad that we were able to bring you guys into it. It does feel appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel a bit objectified. I was not on board <laughs> <Yeah>. with this. <laughs> I'm the only one wearing baby oil. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought this was something else. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I'll be back. Oh, hi, Mark. They call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm Batman. And beyond. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Well, good movies. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by someone who, before watching today's film, thought the Chippendales were two crime-solving chipmunks. It's Craig McDonald. Hello, I Craig. chose this film! 
I chose this film. How can you make that joke? <laughs> you, you might have not known about that one specific element or reference. I'm not going to get into the dynamics of whether or not I would know like all of the various male performing acts. To be fair, you should be glad I didn't choose my other option for your intro. Oh, no, go on. I'll only say one word, butlins. Oh, I see. <laughs> I would have preferred that. I put the pictures on Facebook. It's not like that's a secret. Okay, well, I'm joined by my co-host who has an experience in this sector after going to butlins. <laughs> it's Craig McDonald. Yeah, I see that as a compliment. I'm sorry, like... Bo- body positivity like i wasn't there to be clear or not for the full thing i don't think well um we won't tease anymore what the film is we're discussing today if you haven't by any chance not seen the title uh so crave can you recap us on uh how we came to talk about today's movie and uh introduce us to what we're talking about so in last episode we had our guests chris and johan take each other on in our end game in which in the end chris was the victor and chris was very, very intrigued by what my film might possibly be. He thought it might have been uh, a Yorkshire-based horror film, when in fact it wasn't. It was the Sheffield-based, light-hearted romp, The Full Monty. They invested their lives. Ten years we worked in here. Now look. In a town that was on its way out. Few years and men won't exist. We're not needed no more, are we? Obsolete. They were about to lose everything they worked for. You're not our foreman anymore. You're just like the rest of us. Scrap. Everything they loved. We're finished, Dave. Dinosaurs. We can either forget it or do it and just maybe get rich. This is your great money-making enterprise, is it? Yeah. So, what can you do? This. Excuse me, no one said anything to me about the full Monty. The full Monty. Now are you in or are you out? Yep, so today we'll be talking all about The Full Monty from 1997 and asking the question of whether it deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So for those who don't know, the story of The Full Monty is set in Sheffield in the north of England during the 1990s, telling the story of six unemployed men, four of them former steelworkers, decide to form a male striptease act in order to make some money and for the main character Gaz to be able to see his son. Gaz declares that their show will be much better than the renowned Chippendale dancers because they will go the full Monty and strip all the way, hence the film's title. So credits for this one. It is directed by Peter Cantonio, also known for directing the recent film Military Wives and several TV series and shorts. So quite a departure from Peter Jackson last time where we're talking a much smaller scale director. Uh, written by Simon Beaufoy, also known for Battle of the Sexes, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen and screenplay credits for Hunger Games Catching Fire, 127 Hours and Slumdog Millionaire. The music was by Anne Dudley, cinematography by John DeBorman, and it was edited by David Freeman and Nick Moore. Uh, we got a big British cast in this one, a lot of recognisable faces. So you got Robert Carlyle as Gaz, Mark Addy as Dave, Wim Snape as Nathan, Steve Hewson as Lomper, Tom Wilkinson as Gerald, Paul Barber as Horse, Hugo Spear as Guy, Leslie Sharp as Jean, Deirdre Costello as Linda, Emily Woof as Mandy and Dave Hill as Alan, along with 
many other British stars, which are recognisable again through television and various movies. Uh, Mostly Coronation Street. <laughs> yeah, mainly soaps and, and the like. So yeah, it's going to be a fun episode today. Very different to what we discussed last time. And we're two Welsh guys discussing a film all about guys in Sheffield. So we thought who better to join us than two Irishmen. <laughs> so lots of accents and lots of different regions and countries being discussed here. So yeah, joined with us this week. We have another collaboration. It's been a while since we've had another podcast join us, but it is film reviewers and hosts of the 250 podcast, Darren Mooney and Andrew Quinn. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. How are things? Hello. Very good. Thank you. How, how is the weather over in Ireland? Um, it's actually quite nice today. Toasty. Yeah. Toasty. yeah that's I good. think um, it's, it's generally kind of the same as it as it is um where you are but with like a few hours or like half a day in the difference so yeah. they, so we 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 had the same heat wave i guess the g had i suspect that uh parts of the uk had it worse because they generally do i feel we could have a map sometimes of like podcast guests and everything like where the weather is moving to sometimes it's london so like you said it'd be like coming over to us soon and then it'll be coming to you guys and then other times we're talking like north south so uh, a few weeks ago, we had Mary, who was in Scotland, and that was a very unseasonable warmth that they were experiencing in Scotland, which they're not used to. So, yeah, I guess we're maybe, like you said, similar vibes in terms of Welsh weather and, and Irish weather. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, like, our, I've always thought that Ireland is kind of like an umbrella over uh, parts of the UK, including wales and england but not scotland so that, in that terms like, of weather blowing across the Atlantic. scotland gets all the wind and rain that we haven't captured and <laughs> uh, and and that in england gets all of the wind and rain that hasn't been captured by ireland or uh, wales uh, don't the I, I i don't wish to be corrected on this <laughs> meteorological okay i'll history. shut up then <laughs> we we have folk meteorology here yeah in our ways none of your big city but to be fair <laughs> to, to bring it back to the movie we're talking about today it is is not weather for layers at the moment is probably how i would describe it so it feels like it's a very timely movie that we're talking about yeah yes so guys uh Andrew, first, I'll start with you. You were talking about, before we were recording, about how you came into podcasts. Can you introduce us to the 250 podcast and, uh, yeah, your dynamic with uh, Darren? We were saying beforehand, again, we've had two podcast duos brought together. We've had this in the past with Dan and Joe, with me and Craig speaking to them. They tend to get on great, <laughs> which is very different to us. What What is your guys' vibe and uh, what is the format of the 250? Well, myself and Darren have been doing this now for how long is it? Seven or eight years, roughly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it it will be seven years, won't yeah, it? Yeah, it will be seven years in, in October. In October, but actually, it's kind of our um, our uh, it's it's like our secret anniversary because we started recording in the summer. Yes. Um, yeah, back in the day when you when you were like, we need to have lots of episodes banked in advance. I, I miss yeah. that, Andrew, who's like, well, we <laughs> need to be prepared for any eventuality. So, so we, I, I suggested to Darren that we should do a podcast, and I think that came from me liking podcasts and from Darren having interesting things to say. <laughs> so, um, it, it's 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 a movie that talks about the top two hundred and fifty movies on IMDb. It used to be that we kind of uh, picked them at random. Now it's kind of just a, a sort of a scheduling thing, and yeah. and and and, so, and sometimes it's like a, a new release which we might cover. So 
for example, we might have already covered about Oppenheimer, Barbie, yeah. or like Mission Impossible. Uh, As we're out of yeah. sequence, it might be interesting for people to. Uh, how do they not know what podcast <laughs> they've already recorded? But um, yeah, and we also do the bottom one hundred movies. Yeah. Um, Darren is the professional here. He he is the film critic, and I am the the um, the audience surrogate. I guess <laughs> I don't know if we've ever been as explicit. <laughs> I'm trying to think of you as the vision guy. You're the guy. You're the big ideas guy. Yeah. No, I I think of like um, uh, stupid things that we could do, and then Darren. Uh, makes it a reality. Literalizes them in the most horrible manner imaginable, <laughs> is I think how we describe it. When you first started describing how it came together, I was thinking of Nick Fury, like the Avengers trailer, <laughs> when he was just like, there was an idea, you know, to bring it together. And then when you said vision and you were like, I was like, oh my God, you know, he's Wanda, he's vision, what's going on? <laughs> and, and that's what I respect about you guys is that, you know, not only are you talking about the best stuff, you're talking about, you know, the worst. So it, it really does, you know, go in very different directions. One minute you're talking about 2001, a space odyssey or something. And then the next minute you're talking about like Jeepers Creepers or something. So it's uh, <laughs> something that we kind of experienced, but I guess Sometimes we just get the weird stuff in the middle sometimes, which is just like bad films, but it's like a Netflix original nobody talks about or Thunderbird adaptations from 2004. But yeah, sometimes we also get like the great famous movies. So, you know, it's it's a good combination, I guess, in that sense that we are, you know, we both talk about film history. But yeah, what I thought was interesting with you guys is, like you said, the stuff that comes into the 250, because I guess so many people are acting positively to it when it's first come out. I think one of your recent ones has been Spider-Verse. So, you know, that makes sense. But then as it's been out for longer, I think when I was listening to your, uh, I always get confused with these, No Way Home episode, it was like, this feels wrong. It shouldn't be this high up. But obviously it then (laughs) went further down (laughs) as time went on. Spoilers for thoughts and stuff like that. Craig will... Craig will probably be more on the Andrew side, I think, of Spider-Man. No I just, way home. I just I'm, don't I'm like, more on the Darren side. I, was just I just like, don't yes. like the way in which you always seem to bring it up. That's, that's like the issue <laughs> in this situation. I don't hey, care hey, that you hey, didn't hey, like hey. it. You guys are talking about the eighth greatest movie of all time. Please, respect. Put some respect in your mouth, please. Um, sorry. Well, that is the, the, the problem with something that is overrated oh, yeah. is is that you end up um kind of hating it or at least <laughs> taking the position of hatred because like, it's so overexposed because you fi- you cannot talk around it because it is such a dominant cultural force yeah it's, yeah. it's like not like in and, the flash recently and it's I very mean, hard to talk about modern pop culture for the week the flash is out without talking about the flash and i don't think like it's not necessarily hipsterism it's like a feeling of like injustice <laughs> 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 or maybe that is hipsterism i don't know um first world problems andrew first world problems well well to get to yourself darren that you know this is something that you do cover in your writing you've had like books you do like you know journalistic writing and uh you know from what i've seen often on your twitter you know i am there like yes this guy is right because you are often talking about you know pop culture and like the way things are changing with franchises and but obviously as well as just you know reviewing films and their releases etc so yes introduce us to as andrew said the the biography of yourself in, in film world 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a guy who has. Uh, I think Andrew's description of me has really stuck with me, which is a robot that generates movie opinions. <laughs> uh, if I want that written on my tombstone when I pass, no, I I am very very lucky to do uh, something I really enjoy, something I really love doing, which is writing about pop culture. Um, and I do that in several forums. Uh, I write at the Escapist magazine. I write the Irish Independent, which is the second largest broadsheet in Ireland. Uh, don't tell anybody that there are only two broadsheets in Ireland, but still, it's pretty cool. Um, but also, uh, I've written books, as you mentioned, about Christopher Nolan, about Doctor Who. Um, about the X-Files. And, you know, obviously we, we do the regular podcast and all that sort of stuff as well. So I, I, I tend to be quite engaged in the cultural conversation. Um, and it's actually just, it's been really great to be able to do that semi-professionally. Uh, and it's something that I enjoy doing. And yeah, the podcast with Andrew is maybe the, like the most steady reliable thing that we do because uh, it's also the lowest stakes it's the one where it's like well just kind of cut and loose talk about whatever we're talking about in many cases not having to engage in the discourse like so when i have a strong opinion about say amelie i don't feel like i'm going to have to mute my twitter for like four weeks afterwards or whatever um but it's 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 good i'm again just just kind of thrilled to do it so that that's the like the background uh, on me um I love as well that um, when we were friends in university, because we were friends first in school, but then in university, I would sometimes hang out with you where somebody would read out your credits for like three minutes. Yeah, don't do not do that. Um, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. They're, like about all his accomplishments and all of the like prizes that he had won and kind of teams that he'd been on and things. Yeah. yeah anyway, but yeah. Sorry, so, sorry. No, but. Yeah, so so, but no, I'm I'm very glad that I get to do the stuff that I do. It's, it was it was a dark period. It was a dark in, period. I in, was doing lots of things, accomplishing <laughs> many tasks. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's all a blur, really. I don't, uh, I don't look back. Yeah. Do you still keep up with any of those heptathletes? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a big group chat. It's very popular. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, today we'll be talking anyway about. Uh, the full Monty, not something uh, that's in the 250, as we obviously tried to keep it to stuff that uh, you guys wouldn't have covered or might have in the future. So uh, let's get into our discussion uh, all about that now. And as you guys were mentioning there, you know, you do often talk about the conversations that happen around these films. So things like talking about Hollywood and, you know, the the pop culture conversation at that time, uh, you know, big franchises, etc., um, so, you know, I think that is an element here, especially as this has got quite a legacy and Craig chose it because the fact he's got a series coming out at the moment. So I think, first of all, we'll talk about that. But firstly, I just want to ask, do you guys have much experience with this film? Was it like a first watch or anything? Had you watched it when it first came out? What were your memories of it? I had never seen this movie before. This is really? the first time seeing it. I was very f- familiar with it because of how big it was. And then, of course, it 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 had um, the 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 last um film star um mark addy um, <laughs> um <laughs> steven spielberg's fred flintstone yeah steven spielberg's fred flintstone is like we need to kind of like we need mark addy in this like the the project comes next but um and and obviously like we 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 have covered um uh flintstones in viva rock vegas We've so also, we already know how the Mark Addy story ends. Exactly. <laughs> a we, classic of cinema right there. Yeah. <laughs> We've also covered Train Spotting. Yes. And and T two Junkment Day. That's that's my kind of exposure to this, which is tangential. 
Um, but and... you, you were aware of it, I'm assuming. Like, oh, very. Coming up, yeah. coming up, like being in Ireland, and... which is next to England in 1997, it was hard not to be. And there was a whole kind of, I feel like it was part of a broader kind of, uh, interest in taking one's kid off or in w- watching like shows or, or, or movies about that kind of thing. Well, this was around the same time as Showgirls. Striptease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, like it, not, this Showgirls. is not an angle I thought we were going to go on this, but I guess it is. But it no, is, but, where, no, but it was also sports. like Sky One um, had like all of those shows and Channel 4 where you're, you're like stuff like Euro Trash. And like where Sky One is like, what do people want to watch documentaries about? About a strip club <laughs> or, or, or like have, have reality television where people take their kid off. So it felt very kind of mid to late 90s. What is it? So it's, you're saying the legacy of this film is that it has now led to like naked attraction and those type of dating shows <laughs> that we get on television. It's, it's been a long 20 years like journey to that. <laughs> well, I, I do think there is something to be said there for like positioning this in the context of the end of the kind of erotic cinema boom because this is a movie that has a lot of nudity but is in no way erotic in fact like one of the big things american critics noted about this movie when it came out was it's a that bait and switch <laughs> yeah <laughs> and andrew's uh, okay andrew has one oh, big sorry, complaint about sorry. the movie that we'll get I, to i i i feel like maybe that's giving away <laughs> that's a little bit of a spoil- that's revealing that's pulling off the thong a little bit too early andrew um but like it, i do think there is a kind of a conversation to be had about the idea of this movie arriving towards the end of the 90s which was obviously a boom time for like erotic thrillers and again you could point to discussions that are taking place right now things like say karina longworth's um you know the the you must remember this podcast looking at the erotic 90s we've had the reclaiming erotic thrillers with uh, the paramount plus showtime shows like american gigolo and fatal attraction all that sort of stuff but like this feels like it arrives at the end of that boom where like people have been so normalized and it's become so sensational as andrew said to watch something like showgirls or to watch something like striptease or to watch something like body of evidence where but i feel it, like there's a uk television boom as well uh, yeah which yeah. i imagine is, has to be coming off the end of that right because it's it's that joke about like how long it takes ireland and the uk or at least in the 90s to get american pop culture it's like finally nudity has properly arrived in mainstream Irish it's like that weather conversation we were having yeah. earlier. It like goes to England, then it comes over to us, yeah. and then it goes but to Ireland. The UK version of it was always really dingy. <laughs> um, like, like there, there wasn't like kind of you know. Uh, smoky rooms with like jazz playing uh-huh. and, and like stockings like slowly and, kind of and Andrew, <laughs> Andrew mentioned earlier that he is not an expert in movies Andrew has very strong opinions about the erotic thriller <laughs> Darren had, had you seen this film before have you got many memories of it or? I, I did I saw this again this this is a product of 1997 uh, which was a tumultuous year um, it is a movie that arrives as part of the wave of like cool Britannia um, it is hard to properly sum up how big this movie was in the context of like 1997. I think it was the 10th biggest movie of the year at the global box office. Spoken like a person who's seen the movie. <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. when did you see this then? <laughs> uh, I saw it in 1997 when it came out. I'm providing context. I'm explaining okay. how ubiquitous the movie was and it how was different it was. It <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we were wearing onions on our belt. No, but like this was inescapable. This was the movie that was number one at the box office when Princess Diana died. 
died. You had like you had sorry Tony Blair going to Japan and encouraging Japanese audiences to go and see this movie. You had Prince Charles in a dole queue in Sheffield performing the dance from this movie. It's on YouTube. Uh, check it out. And like he it, has a job now, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's no longer on the dole. Queue, yeah, um, but yes, I mean, so kind of is just. <laughs> To answer the question, though, I, I saw it in 1997, 1998 when it came out in home video. Would have seen it as part of what we call Mooney movie nights, uh, which were basically as when I was a kid, uh, we would go to the video store. Uh, we may need to explain for younger audience members what a video store is. But we go and we'd rent movies uh, and we watch them together as a family. And we would watch. They killed a radio store. It, it did indeed, unfortunately. Um, and then it was killed by the streaming store. But that's 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 a separate conversation for another time. But we would watch these movies collectively as a family. It would be a big thing every Friday night, every Saturday night. And I remember this just Mooney, being... Mooney Movie Night, not to be confused with Mooney Movie Madness. Yes, Mooney Movie Madness is when you do several of them simultaneously. Yeah, which yeah. which is how our podcast started before it was a podcast. Yes, yeah, that was that was the, 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 the birthing ground of it. But I remember seeing this when it came out. I would have been at the time... 11 years old so i was much like the adorable child in the movie with the eyes covered during provocative scenes um but i i do think there is something to andrew's point about this being a movie that is like a little saucy but not really saucy at all where it is like a family friendly movie about male stripping which feels like it's the ultimate end point of the whole again the the erotic boom as it were of the early 90s where this thing has just become so normal that you can sit down with your family and watch a wholesome movie about the presentation of striptease. Um, you know, and I think there is an interesting conversation to be had about good, bad or whatever of that. But I do think that's how I remember seeing it, being 10 years old, watching it in a room with my parents and being astounded that I was in no way uncomfortable with that experience. That I, this movie was designed in such a way that a 10 year old boy watching with his mom and dad was like, you know what? This is pretty OK. It's a pretty solid movie. Very heartwarming, very affectionate. I don't know about Craig, especially in the context of suggesting this and talking about the TV series and stuff. But for me, I have a similar memories of you, Darren, in terms of watching this with my family. And again, now thinking like that was strange, you know, like seeing it as like, oh, yes, this family friendly film, especially when I think of other films, which like at the time we were like watching together, like Men in Black and like some of the James Bond films and stuff like that. But it's also I think of it as the kind of start of that entire like british charming comedy drama film especially because of then its later award success which until we talked about this i was like wow i didn't really actually realize how much of that it had but it kind of makes sense to me now in terms of like the legacy it's sort of created and the films that have spawned from it so you know you guys are talking about some of the films that were out around that time or before it but you know i was thinking of like calendar girls as the kind of female version of this like much you know many years later um and then the fact that we get things like you know billy elliott made in dagenham and well, military dream, wise you mentioned from the yeah, same director from Peter as i King. said yeah dream horse was another one a few you know years ago i think with tony Kletz doing a welsh accent which is interesting so there's been so many of those misbehavior i think is one they try to do yeah about that, was, two that years came ago. out right before the pandemic that was the movie yeah. i watched when i heard that the lockdown was happening i was on my way back from a cinema screening of misbehavior i got a text message saying don't come in now or ever oh uh, well. and i was like am i fired and it's like no no that's not what we mean at all <laughs> well yeah that's quite the way to find out but <laughs> yeah i think that's that's what i think of it is terms like you know the, all these i kind of like as you said darren in terms of like oh it's this charming british story which as Craig said, also has kind of like some dark dr dramatic moments to it. So it kind of, I don't know if 
I kind of appreciate it for starting that genre because there's just so many of them now. And it seems like British cinema um, has kind of become dominated by that. Um, I don't know, Craig, what, what do you think of it in terms of its legacy and memories? Well, I mean, this is my first time fully watching this film as well. Okay. <laughs> so it's very much being aware of it and the sort of, again, the cultural zeitgeist, the amount of references various places would have it for. And just so you're suggesting this blind? What I tend to use this podcast for is whenever I have the opportunity to get things, you know, back on course, I'll generally suggest things I've been intrigued by seeing, or at least something will just inspire me. So for me, it was, I saw trailers for the Full Monty 2023 series and thought, hmm, that's a good way of getting away from another zombie film. I'll suggest that to make sure that we don't go down another horror path. And it worked. I very rarely suggest films that I've actually seen this in the entirety. I think only one film that I've suggested in the entire time we've been doing that system has been something that I have actually, I've actively watched. And that was just because the link was too good to pass up. Forgive my ignorance if it's not the case at all, but do you guys see this as like, you know, British films and there's a difference then with like, sort of like Irish indie smaller scale films? Or do you, do you think that they are kind of a part of the same collectives or vibe? There, I, I think that Irish movies are quite different. Yes, so, Irish yeah. movies haven't had a big breakout moment in the way that this provides. Like again, and it, but I, I, I think as well that they that they don't really resemble. Like you would expect, maybe because of the success of stuff like Four Weddings and a Funeral, um, that Irish movies would go for a flavor that's similar enough to British movies. That an American kind of audience would audience with, would hopefully. be like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I like, um, like if if you're talking to a big distributor, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like Lock Stock, but it's in Limerick, yeah, um, and it's like, no, it's it's not at all like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very Irish yeah. in 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 ways that are kind of yeah. I mean, I'm not the person to talk about it. I think the size of the film industry is the biggest issue there. Where like the British film industry is obviously quite large and it obviously has a very long historical root, and even like you know things like say the Bond movies, for example, but Ealing studios comedies like there is that framework that exists in england and the uk for making movies that are you know if not comparable in scale and structure to what hollywood does are comparable in terms of social function to what hollywood does they can do big crowd-pleasing movies for a large market even if it doesn't play outside the uk you're still playing to an audience of 60 million people but yeah i think the the irish industry has typically been smaller um and because we're smaller we tend to partner our biggest hits tend to be international co-productions so we've been very lucky in 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 recent yeah um in bridge well that's that's film four we did that with film four um but even things like say the favorite for example uh which is like a european co-production with element pictures uh things like say um sorry like room for example which was nominated for the best picture oscar that's a canadian co-production like we tend to partner because we're a smaller nation and because our pool and resources are smaller so we don't i would not group us in the same group as as british films i think the british film industry is arguably like a smaller version of what Hollywood does, where they can do this wide range of material uh, in a large scale that can play to an audience at scale. Whereas for Irish productions, it's generally, they tend to be smaller. um, They tend to be more local, more specific, or if they're going bigger, they have to be co-productions internationally, which means that they aren't as distinctly Irish um, as the full Monty is distinctly British. Um, 
Sorry, that was a very rambling answer. Apologies. No, no, no. It was good. Like, it was good to get that context. And I think that's, you make a good point, is that when I think then of the British films that do stand out in terms of not being kind of like a part of that general formula of like, oh, this is the British comedy drama, it is maybe something that's a bit more like a collaboration or, you know, something like Attack the Block uh, or something similar to like, you know, The Favourite or something, which people could use as examples. But again, it's just the fact that when you go into awards season or when you go into the cinema it generally feels dominated and especially when you're talking about the identity of England or Wales etc there's not this idea of like you can use Braveheart as an example for Scotland etc there's not this idea of like what Twin Town might have you know like represent for Wales or uh, Trainspotting might represent for Scotland you know this is England all that kind of stuff that to me seems all part of something that was very pre so like 2005 2010 whereas now it does tend to be like type in british film and it is like misbehavior and you know fisherman's friends and just kind of like pushing this kind of like idea of like you know like nice wholesome movie about a group of people overcoming like you know a, a local community problem and it's like i see mod uh, you know like the full monty as part of that kind of like something that's kick-started Ooh. that in a way Oh, it, it is the shift. Like, that's the thing. We we haven't talked about this on our podcast. It was on the 250 when it was released. You can add that to the movie's list of accolades. Um, if you want, we can play a guessing game where people guess how high it was on the 250. The answer may or may not surprise people. Um, but, like, it was... We covered train spotting, and train spotting was this huge cultural zeitgeisty hit. But we mentioned, like, it played reasonably well in the u.s it played very well to critics it maybe didn't have the same cultural impact and it generated this pushback of you know moral outrage from like bob dole who was campaigning to be the president at the time uh whereas i think this kind of gentrified that perhaps is probably the way it made it more middle class made it more acceptable made it straight down the middle made it more folksy and accessible and again you know you kind of get into the marketplace of yeah that this is now what americans think british cinema is i think that's the key um this is what americans think that a british film particularly a british awards film looks like there was an explosion of like gangster films in the 20 in the 2000s gangster number one the limey all that sort of stuff i know the limey is a soderbergh film but still but like it does feel like this managed to break out of like the niche audience that train spotting had and kind of went full Spice Girls and was like, okay, this is now what the rest of the world thinks British cinema is. Or at least that's my reading of it. So, Andrew, I guess I'd be interested with what you think, first of all, just off the bat, like general thoughts, if this was your first time so watching it. I was honestly disappointed with with with, with this. You wanted the whole lunchbox. Yeah, well, well that, that's part of it. Um, but also I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I found this funny. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it was kind of, uh, a, like a subpar kind of a, uh, situation comedy that, that, and, and, and that I, w- I was kind of, you know, when you, when you approach something like this, you're like, ah, now I know why this is a classic. <laughs> Um, that moment of realization but then like uh, watching it it was like this was this is really iconic and and there are like like, i think there are scenes in it where you kind of get um 
uh, swept away in it, and it feel you 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 kind of understand it. But there's a lot of this movie where I was just like, I don't, I'm not having, <laughs> I'm not having fun. I should be having fun, right? Um, so yeah, the 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 that was my. Uh, impression of it on 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 unfortunately andrew can i run an idea by you i think yeah. you have been spoiled by hosting a podcast where you just watch the 250 greatest movies <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was thinking i was like oh god that, like, if I, we're talking about something in the middle here interesting that, there was on the 250 at one point i guess but that thought did occur to me earlier on <laughs> i didn't want to say it yeah <laughs> have movies been ruined for you well when when you're a co-host of a podcast of the top 250 movies <laughs> of all time. Um, no, no. <laughs> there are some very bad movies on that. There list. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're used to watching bad movies. And, and, and it, it, this isn't like bad, bad. It's just kind of not as good as I, as, as I thought it would be. I didn't find myself laughing. It, it wasn't like nearly as joyous as I was anticipating it would be. Um, so yeah it's almost similar to our conversation a bit so far in terms of like when we we're talking about rush hour earlier in the year in which you were like yeah i can see why it's famous it's fine you know it's okay it does its job kind of thing but you know it maybe is its legacy when that circumstance was maybe sort of established more by its sequels or maybe just like the stars themselves but yeah when you go to that film it's not that moment of like oh yeah what is the thing that made this famous because if it's you know the ending of the film then that's pretty much the entire concept of it anyway <laughs> i would be devastated if i watched rush hour and didn't enjoy it <laughs> i just like <laughs> assume that like if i'm watching that i suppose rush hour too have you seen rush hour? I, I i guess would i feel like i i i have <laughs> do you understand the words coming out of my mouth okay. is, 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 yeah 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 yes that is, is also a line from the trailer though i think yeah that? yeah i think it is um I possibly have seen um, both or neither of them. <laughs> uh, it's always good to grasp. It's like having yeah. Schrodinger's captive yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. What, what Andrew has definitely not seen is a single. <laughs> you, you would be like, okay, this isn't an Oscar winner, but I'm guaranteed to have a good time. I mean, this um, is an Oscar nominee. This was nominated for Best No, Picture no, I mean more Rush okay. Hour. I thought we were talking about Rush Hour. <laughs> that was what I prepared. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we were meant to watch Full Monty. I beg your pardon. Yeah, for, for reference, I, I was very much of the band of not really on board with Rush Hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, I think, yeah, that, that, that is what I was surprised. It was like, oh, it was nominated for, you know, Best Picture. And all right, it was, cultist. you know, it was like on that, you know, like BAFTA train etc but i can see also kind of again a lot of it was based on like memories a lot of it you know watching it was like oh you know like the 90s especially kind of seeing like everything they're wearing and i thought technically like a lot of it i was quite impressed with the visuals of it because again some of these indie films or especially what you get now with the likes of streaming is they can look just very flat and very generic and i was like you know what there are some like great shots and you know technical aspects to this film sometimes it just cuts away from it very quickly um, but I felt that again, it wasn't kind of going down the approach of like, oh, well, this is just a TV show on a bigger budget. I was like, they still treated it like a bigger production. And I was impressed that, you know, from the get go, they very much are like the, the stars are in it. 
from the get-go in terms of like this is the characters these are the comedic beats this is who they are and i think that's maybe a lot of what has made it so famous is that there's no kind of like slow opening to it there's no kind of like getting used to the characters you're in straight away and all of those actors and characters understand their characters straight away and their comedic beats and their appeal i guess um so i I guess it kind of led to things like billy elliott in terms of a lot of people seem to like the aspect of just the concept and i think they kind of got lucky in that sense of like just the idea of these like former steel workers becoming strippers it reminds me a bit almost of the success of the greatest showman which a lot of people was like it's kind of got a very horrific history which is based on but people are willing to glaze over all of that because it's a fun time and everyone loves like the music and the circus etc and to me it seems again this kind of concept of like oh well yeah steel workers who become strippers and like all the women are sort of like laughing at them just that idea in itself i think is just they just run with it for the entire movie i don't think it runs out of steam necessarily but i think it's like you're either in in on that kind of journey or not and i think that's why it was kind of popular with families at the time because it is weird like said darren that it is like oh this is a family-friendly film but i think people felt that sense of comfort with it almost like a osvidas and pet kind of like those tv programs in which people are like oh i know these characters I, i i know these people in real life what a fun you know caper that they're having sort of element that that was kind of my reading of like like you, Andrew, I wasn't completely like, oh, I'm finding this hilarious. I'm finding this like fantastic, dramatic storytelling. I could appreciate a lot of what they did, but I could also just view it from the point of like, I see why this did well. But from Andrew and my perspective, it's worth noting this is a tight 91 minutes, which is very yeah. rare for a movie that we talk about on the podcast. Um, and it is straight in with the comedy. I think you make, you make an interesting point there about like the Billy Elliotness of it. It's worth noting this came out the year after Brass Dolph. And I believe that Miramax actually passed on international distribution of it uh, because they had bought like Brass Dolph. And I think like Harvey Weinstein said years later, I picked the one with trumpets in it. You know, that was that was that was my bad choice. Uh, as we all know, that was the only bad choice that Harvey Weinstein ever made. Darren says, hoping that sarcasm comes across in an audio medium. Um, but yeah, don't I, worry, I think... the, the breath will help. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do I do think there there is something there in terms of like you mentioned it feeling like a film and it kind of like throwing you in at the ground level and it assuming that you were on board with this like this was you know this was at one stage they were thinking about sending this directly to video the the production was famously troubled i think carlisle at one point claimed that like it was the producer um Umberto, uh, Umberto, I'll get his name here, apologies. Uh, but basically Pasolini like took it away from the director in the ending booth. The director's more like, no, 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 no. That was that was our deal from the outset. I always knew that he was going to do it. Because apparently it was the original pitch for the movie from Simon Bufoy was he was he'd done a couple of short films, he'd done a couple of documentaries. He had wanted to make a movie about unemployed uh, steel workers who were like painting electricity pylons. Like, that was his initial pitch, because he'd done a documentary about them uh, up in Yorkshire. And he was like, this will be the perfect movie. And apparently it was Uberto Pasolini, the Italian film producer, who's like, great idea. Just got one little tweak for you. What if instead of painting pylons, they're male strippers? Otherwise, it's exactly the same movie. Sounds like exactly the note. Like an (laughs) (laughs) executive. Like, yeah, an Italian uh, (laughs) uh, producer. Not, not, not to be too reductive. Yeah. I think it's okay to to be the Dino De Laurentiis. No, it's like the, yeah, 
It is. It's like one one of the few peoples in this world that it's okay to be reductive to stereotype, and yeah. make stereotypes yeah. about. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think I do think there is kind of something very interesting there that like somehow. You, you, <laughs> You have this kind of fusion between what is a very broad sitcom premise. And, like, again, it's introduced with them stealing a steel a steel girder. And, like, you have the prop comedy of Nate, like, dropping the girder in the water and Gaz throwing a hissy fit and dropping the other one in the water as well, losing all of the money that they went to the hassle of getting. But it is, as I think you guys already suggested, like, at times a surprisingly dark and serious portrayal of, like, masculinity in crisis, unemployment, like, post-Thatcher devastation of the north of England, it's... where, like, one of the characters is introduced attempting suicide in his car. That, I was like, whoa. I, I was like, I didn't even realize what was going on for I a mean, while. it's worse than that. It's literally his car was struggling and the guy helped him fix his car, which enabled him to carry on the suicide. And it's only after he walks off and he goes... Wait, no, runs back, gets him out, gets called a fat bastard, throws him back in for good form. Uh, and he he only realizes that he's in the car with smoke because he sees Gaz smoking, which means it's not a case of inappropriate smoking, which means it's not a 250 movie. But yeah, like there's... Although they do smoke in the job center. They do smoke in the job center. They shouldn't <laughs> do that. That's, right. That's fair. Um, but yeah, like I, I think there is something kind of interesting because Bufroy, as you mentioned, goes on to be this kind of like usually successful writer of British films. He writes obviously for Boyle. You mentioned he wrote Slumdog Millionaire, which won Best Picture and 127 Hours, which is also nominated for, for Best Picture as well. Like I think part of the film's success is the way in which, or at least part of its appeal, is the way in which it manages to take... A lot of what people associated with like British cinema in the 1980s, the kind of the kitchen sink drama, the studies of like, again, hard men living hard lives in hard communities and finding a way to tell a story that was fundamentally about those men, but in a way that wasn't alienating, confrontational or adversarial, a way that, you know, managed to askew the kitchen sink realism for something that was more populist and accessible without, I think, sacrificing the, the social commentary. Is that? I think the social commentary is quite light in a sense, because it, it, there, there, there is a bleakness about it, but there's also, but it's also quite kind of hopeful yeah. And there's there like several unemployed like sorry. There's there's several like it's about an industry leaving a town. Yeah. But there's a lot of the characters could have jobs <laughs> if, they, if they wanted to. It's not like there there's a com, com, complete like kind of um lack of 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 options for them. Or maybe that's kind of unsympathetic. But there's one who keeps on being told, "Well, you can have a job in the factory." It's like I don't want a job in the factory. And and then two 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 pound 50 an hour. And then it's like, yeah, and it's like, "Oh, you could be a security guard." It's like, "Nah, if that." Like, uh, um, not feeling very sympathetic to Gaz is what I'm picking up here. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind well, of see him as like an early Simon Pegg kind of character, though, in the sense he's like, you know, against the system, man, you know, like kind of like World's End vibe of just like, you know, I, I'm not doing that kind of like, you know, rubbish job. You know, he's he's against, you know, and, and I guess kind of maybe adds the element of like, I'm a steelworker, but then obviously he doesn't really have any affinity for that. He's the guy who was like straight away like, let's do this. And you're like, OK, <laughs> you've just seen this one event happen and you already think it's a great idea. But yeah, that that's the vibe I got from his character of like, I'm not willing to do that because, yeah, I... 
just have higher morals, I guess. I don't know. Whereas everyone else <laughs> is kind of living this more mundane life and he wants something greater, which is stripping. <laughs> but also, like, they, they earn how much money? Is it, what, 200 people at £10 oh, a head? Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. Yes, oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that one I'm actively going to cut off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, this is the thing. Because that, that, that's the, the, the heist in in train spotting in tra- t2 is it uh, no in 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 the original oh, yeah, train yeah, spotting yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bag is, of money is for us like the friendship uh, and the betrayal and yeah. an awful small amount of money <laughs> for a movie you know like that that you kind of you're you're like oh was was that all of that for was that meant to be a life-changing That's amount of money? That's not a life-changing amount of money. It probably would of, change things yeah. if we did see them then, like, touring the world or something. But again, <laughs> we'll have to watch the Disney Plus series. We've become uh, <laughs> involved in this commercial corporate life that they want us to be in, absorbed in. But I mean, from, from Gaz's perspective, isn't it just needs a, a lot of money quite quickly, considering yes. all of his court bills are just stacking up? Yeah. Or court bills. Alimony. Uh, and yeah, and alimony. Yeah. yeah. Well, Craig, you suggested this then. So what's your reaction after a first viewing officially? Look, I agree with everything that's been said insofar as, is it a laugh out loud factory? Absolutely not. I do think it is. I do think it is relatively quite charming. I think it's quite offensive to mention factories. And, you know, oh, it, shut yeah. up. <laughs> we used to make laughs in this town. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the problem, Andrew. They moved the laugh factory out of Yorkshire. <laughs> this isn't Monster Inc. <laughs> okay, yeah. We only have as many jokes as we have. <laughs> we'll have to get by. Yeah. Sorry yeah. if my accent is there. <laughs> no so i mean i do get i do get behind a lot of the characters i think it's one of those i think what i was expecting to sort of be very built up and in some ways i got i got it in some ways i didn't was very much we have a bunch of masculine characters who have been who feel very emasculated and very much uh, and very much as having to you know change a lot of their conceptions in order to get by and a lot of it because you know you have like the casual homophobia at the beginning of the film i was like okay so it's part of the part of the track going to be over time their homophobia sort of lightens because they understand the ways of the strippers and in some way it does and and when inevitably two of the characters end up uh, being in a relationship together you do think, okay, are they are they going to be respectful about this? And up until the point they are, and then there's one joke made at the funeral. It's just like, ah, uh, yep, yeah, there it goes. Um, goodbye, good faith I had in this situation. But yeah, I also just think, I also just think I sort of I bought into some of the the lesser storylines. I, I think like the actual pursuit of the of the stripping ends up being quite shallow. I think it's I think it's where character sort of diverge off into their own little personal dramas so you have gerald with having to deal with the massing of his bills and the debt collectors you have gaz and the the issues with his wife and which he really should have just talked about but i can understand why it'd be difficult for him in this situation dave with all the custody stuff and then we don't really look at the lives of uh lomper horse or or guy all that much at which point i did find i did find elements of this story compelling i i actually just think that this film would have benefited from being longer i understand why under the constraints it wasn't but i do think that there are elements where they definitely needed to sort of sure things up a little bit even if it's just like going into a little bit more of just the ways in which actually pursuing the stripping bonds these characters together i think we get a couple of pivotal scenes which are sort of awkward cringe comedy and like after a while i do kind of enjoy it um but I was felt by by the end of the film, I did feel satisfied with sort of like the end sort of performance. I think that climax 
could have been built up to better but i think the actual climax does work for me insofar as the film and like the actual performance um so yeah i i I got on with this film fine i think i'm with everyone else i'm i'm not that surprised given the time why it was nominated but i i i had a nice time yeah i I think it's it's kind of a premise and a climax. Yeah, and then definitely. Like, yeah. like I felt like a lot of the stuff in between was kind of meandering, and some of it didn't really. Some of it, like the 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 gay love story, to me came completely out of nowhere. That's <laughs> just two I scenes. Nineteen ninety seven in like a mainstream British film. To be fair to it, I was yeah, yeah I did. Uh, I was willing to give it credit for the time it was done, especially as Craig, as Craig said, the fact that they had already set up this kind of like sort of slight homophobic you know slurs etc at the start so i was a bit like oh okay actually this is quite refreshing and this is quite bold of them to do especially that scene where they do sort of run through you know the the gardens and everything like that and, <laughs> sure. so weird. and they had set up i guess him sort of like looking at uh you know different characters throughout the film um so the fact that then they are staring each other i was like oh whoa are they actually going to go for it but it was like no 1997 no kiss but we'll still have the suggestion of the kiss. So the implication yeah. is strong. They get to yeah. hold hands yeah. whilst basically being naked. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was I was impressed by the sort of representation for the time. But yeah, it doesn't go as far as it, it possibly could. But no, no, like I I don't want like it doesn't have to go any further than it did. But for 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 there to be any hint that that's going to kind of um, happen before that there's any the kind of uh, tension there. Where it's there's no point at which, like, guy is like, you know, what are you looking at, or 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 anything like that. Like they're running away and they're kind of Im, Im, embarrassed, but presumably also, you then think, okay, are they also turned on? <laughs> like, um, and yeah, but it, it's it and 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 it, there was another point like straight after that. Where it's like, oh, Lamper's mother died two days ago. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I when thought did, the when same. Did, when did that happen? You see, Andrew, what you're arguing is that this really should have been a six. She walked in TV on the show streaming. That's the bit they don't mention, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, no, we we're going to be open. I thought nobody should know, and it's like, well, yeah. yeah. I think the fact that also. Yeah, the, the, it's strange that they seem to... It's all, like you kind of watch it with that viewpoint of like, oh, you know, they're checking off like what these films usually are. But again, I was sort of viewing in the viewpoint of like, oh, well, this is before all of those films that we had mentioned, you know, like Calendar Girls, etc. But it does seem to be like what we were saying about sitcoms and stuff in terms of ticking those boxes in terms of, you know, there's the kind of like more like uh, awkward character, the one who plays by the rules. There's the kind of like more strange one. There's, you know, the more like loud brash one there's the kind of like you know friend who sort of like supports the main character yeah but i'm talking about their their archetypes (laughs) archetypes. i'm obviously joking (laughs) um so i think that some of that works like said some of it is like okay it's fine like i think before that entire scene where they're you know running away the fact that it is just like oh the policeman has come and found them oh, they just happened to be like rehearsing this in a warehouse somewhere i'm still amazed they also had they also put in the scene where they just like 
so does your father strip in front of you often? Yeah. I was like, Jesus, we're making that joke, well, are we? But that's what I just kept thinking throughout this film. And it's almost like what Darren was saying before about the fact that it's strange this was a family viewing experience. But was it because it was like, well, there's a child in the film watching this, so it's fine for a child to watch this film. But I was like, but was it right that that child was watching this? And, and when that happened, I was kind of like, this could be a film in itself. It's just the whole like... Why did the dad think this was appropriate? Why why is this not really, really strange? You know, like the gritty legal uh, drama where Gaz tries to get his son back <laughs> as the police and social workers try to take him away because he's a male stripper. Like, maybe not that far, but I'm thinking similar to Andrew, in which I'm sure there's a film out there in which, like, what am I thinking of? And when when the son is embroiled in the father's madcap scheme, and they're like, "You've got your son involved in this like terrible thing." You're Getting describing the dad? pursuit of happiness. Yeah, no, I'm thinking more of a kind of like School of Rocks type scenario in terms of okay. like you know they're doing something bad, but then it comes through at the end in which they were like yeah but you know like they i'm uh, gonna reiterate the pursuit of happiness <laughs> they do, sleep in a you. subway yeah no but i'm talking about an actual like the the divorce dad thing I, in which you know like you are not helping the cause <laughs> <laughs> mrs doubtfire that's what i'm thinking of is mrs doubtfire is the whole like it's not so much kids embroiled in this <laughs> later on they know that he's mrs doubtfire so when like pierce brosnan chokes on the fish etc they're sort of partly to blame <laughs> well not partly to blame, but you know what i mean <laughs> carry on sorry Dad. All, all those guilty kids but uh, <laughs> yeah. this is the thing where we're talking about the representation in the movie and all this sort of stuff and the idea that like the gay romance kind of comes out of nowhere which it absolutely does part of me is also like wondering in terms of giving this credit, in terms of being a film from 1997 that was nominated for Best Picture, that was the 10th highest grossing movie of its year. But I, I, I'm kind of like, I am, without wanting to give the movie too much credit, Like I do think there is something there in terms of it being a movie that parents take their kids to go see that has a gay couple in it in 1997. Now, I know, obviously, like, Friends was doing things with Ross's ex-wife um, and all that sort of stuff. And, like, Will and Grace was around this time, maybe a year after this time or whatever like you were beginning to see an embrace in mainstream pop culture of the idea that you know people could be like gay and that that could be something that was just a fact of life about them uh but i do i do think of like the full monty as being an odd movie in that sense where like it this movie has a very interesting relationship with masculinity that i kind of admire while also kind of being confused by where like as much as this movie is about, and I think Andrew said it's not, is it really about like the dispossessed working class in Sheffield? I think it's more masculinity in crisis in the 1990s. I think like maybe. Yeah, I think it does feel like women are kind of getting on with us and they have their what? communities where they know what they're doing and they're taking over our spaces. And our urinals. When, yeah. Like, when, like again, it's very, like, yeah. whatever about the, the movie the being very. place or the workman's club are, are, yeah. are somehow taking a place. Like, pre, pre, I, I was curious about that. What is going on there? Is there a device? And, yeah, there is a more. That's a reverse. I've had that the... conversation. I'm not going to talk about it on a podcast <laughs> as a man. Um, but yeah, okay. okay. It is kind of the yeah. reverse, as you were saying, to the usual representation that you get, though, of the kind of like viewing it from a more the male aspect of like seeing the women who are like, oh my god, we're seeing these like strippers and everything like that, and they're kind of like lusting after them. Usually, it's the reverse, you know, sort of situation. So to see the men from the viewpoint of like the kind of minority in that sense, rather than like the women who like are then sort of like dominated by um, like a city full of men who are then like ogling over women, it's the reverse of that. It is interesting to see that, and I think 
they do touch on some good things with like Mark Addy's character, for example, with sort of like not being confident with himself. And I think by the end scene, you are starting to see a bit of like their character journeys. And I think what what this film probably does the best in terms of his storyline is just the fact of they're trying to hide this. They think it's a good way to make money that, you know, they're lying to, you know, their partners and all this type of stuff. They're lying to themselves in a lot of different ways. And if it wasn't for the fact that they, they all become famous in the town for the fact they were doing it, that is actually what comes true as yeah, the reason that everyone comes and sees it, which I'm like, that, you know, is, is just a And also the reason idea. why they even do the show in the, in, yeah. in the end. Where, where it doesn't work as well is just like when the main character, Gaz, when he's just like, I can't do it, I can't go on stage. And his son is like, you need to do it. And I was just like, where's this come from? Where's this? Su- I get the sudden fear kind of aspect, but it just seemed kind of like oh, no, that attacked was, on it. No, no, I feel like that's the last attack of masculinity, right? Because that only happened at the point where... because. Even when I saw the audience, I made the joke, oh, what happened to only women? I saw like men, men. Yeah. And then when he, he comes out and actually addresses it, that yeah. that seems to be like the, the tipping point for him. It was literally that last attack of his masculinity. The fact that men would be able to see him in this yeah. situation. And that's why he was like, I don't want to get involved. I guess it's more the framing of just that scene in which he's just like sat there. Oh, I agree. Like, it, yeah. His son shouldn't have been the encouraging yeah. force. <laughs> and like... And like when we get to fun fact, there's also another uncomfortable thing about that scene oh. that we'll get into. Maybe that's yeah. why it played the I, way it did then. But I also give me the idea of imagine if the son was like the really harsh manager, like you know, like a boxing kind of coach, like get out there, man! Like he's like grabbing it. You gotta earn the money. You gotta earn the scratch. Yeah, bum. No, what you're describing, David, is a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, I I I did feel like there were dramatic arcs that could have been worked out through the character's penises. Because I I (laughs) felt like Tom Wilkinson was very worried about getting an erection. So you would see him not getting an erection and then everyone would be like, yeah, you're not getting an erection. And then Mark Addy would get an erection and then everybody would be congratulating him and then there would be like um, horse and um, uh, guy. We we should emphasize andrew andrew is an expert on. in in the erotic cinema genre <laughs> he maybe looks at everything through that particular prism it is an absolute disgrace that you don't see any penis there is no penis i even like freeze framed this at the end to see like <laughs> do, is there any penis through the legs i do love the end shot it you literally have the light shining out of someone's ass yeah I <laughs> but also the fact that they make reference to like two people being like potentially uh, abnormally large i was like oh okay you know i thought you would just have one of the characters but you know like that again seems to be a, a theme they're running with of being like oh well they like down there but then oh we don't want to know about the rest of them it's just these two people who could potentially be abnormally big i mean i i do honestly think that that is the most interesting part of the movie for me is that sense of masculine like the gerard storyline is probably the one that most like connects with him emotionally where he's the man who doesn't have a job but pretends to have a job because it gives him a sense of function and he cannot admit to his wife like he cannot be emotionally naked in front of her that is the subtext of and i'm like congratulations movie you have thematic subtext that connects to your central dramatic arc i recognize it men would literally be naked rather than emotionally naked and also Um, i think the visually and the kind of like dressing of the you know sets and the the scenes 
what you know what i do appreciate about this film again is like it doesn't seem hollywood in the sense of like you know you are actually i felt like it was just like they just went to sheffield picked oh, a street this isn't your this isn't this felt like a movie no moment, no, is no, it? no i mean it felt this is my it felt, felt like, like a it movie was, movie it, it felt like it was made in britain and they just rocked up to somewhere and filmed it wasn't kind of like a picture perfect version it was they were just literally going outside the fish and chip shop they were there by the parks the backgrounds it looks like a realistic place there's no kind of like it looks like a dive that. is what <laughs> yeah. yeah the movie factory unfortunately shut down three years earlier um moved <laughs> But juxtaposed then to Gerald's character, who's kind of living like almost this dollhouse life of like having the gnomes and everything is tried to be perfect. And then that literally is sort of like taken away bit by bit at the end. I think that also makes him like one of the, you know, sort of stronger character arcs throughout the film. It also has one of my favorite sort of comedic moments, which is just the gnomes in the window when he's doing the job <laughs> interview. Just the, the just the visual of that. Them. He has such an incredibly dramatic out. <laughs> outcry against the fact he runs into the job club and like starts like trying to pick a fight and just screaming about his situation that's when you just get the actual like okay this was this was meant to be light-hearted jesus christ but also just i like the the moment how it wraps up he's just there with his little like perfect little packed lunch that his wife has prepared for him and then they just come over with the repaired name like sorry and he's just there holding it and they're like we got you this little cart from you know the fact that gaz gives it to him from it's like you know from a boot sale or something he's like he's like and the wheels fit and everything like again that sense of masculinity where it's like we thought maybe you could make a a a scene yeah you can make like a scene with the feature with the well like i I love that again that stereotypical sense of and again you could argue it's been done to death in in movies like billy elliott that kind of followed along these lines this idea of ah we're taking manly men and making them do something that is not seen as a traditionally masculine exercise but i actually do think the movie does a reasonably good job of that where like you do have as you point out you have dave's body issues and like the scene where they are discussing women in magazines and having the the frankly horrific realization that they're going to be objectified in the same way that they have comfortably objectified women for decades like that wonderful moment of epiphany hell at the sequence where they're watching flashdance and the idea of the movie is an inverse of flashdance where flashdance is the story of a woman dancing and the twist is she's also a well doing something that is unconventionally feminine and the idea is that they were once welders while dave is complaining about look at the acetylene mix on that that's never gonna hold um but the idea that like this movie is kind of an inverse of Flashdance, where you have this idea of these gender-coded roles that have long existed and and the kind of men being confronted with what it is like to be on the opposite side of that equation and again I'm, i don't think it's a feminist masterpiece i don't think it's like one of the great works of british cinema but i, I do think there is something in 1997 a populist accessible film tackling this sense of masculinity in crisis which informs everything you know from fight club through to you know wonder boys or whatever um but doing it in a way that like doesn't feel as reactionary as a lot of the contemporary uh, films. I mean, a lot of the press in America noted, for example, you know, the female characters here are mostly seen as like the enemy um, and they don't necessarily come across particularly well. But I think the New York Times review makes a note of that technically means makes it an improvement over something like Brassed Off, where women are presented as this kind of like antagonistic force. Uh, whereas here, they're just seen as this kind of like careless, faceless, emotionally unengaged force that is kind of like colonizing, as Andrew said, male spaces, the workman club, the men's toilets, uh, hell, even screen, even iron welding or steel welding on screen, you know? I would also say that Dave's 
wife is maybe not doesn't come into yeah. that pool either she's yeah. very supportive of him and everything like that which i think you know is yeah if anything impressive. it's everyone else's it's his own description of what she's likely to do right it's always yes. the description of oh she will go and leave me for someone else oh she clearly has a thing for the juggler and everyone else is like you're, you're just wrong you are just wrong about this and i guess what might have led to a lot of his fame is you know why i'm also impressed by is just the fact that you know and you don't even get that that much now is just how much they go in on the language the british of the slang you know maybe to the americans that might have given it this kind of like more foreign appeal but the fact that they're like oh they're chuffing this and you know like they're using very like you know british words and slang which might have just like completely gone over the head of like americans not knowing what they mean so you know i think it was good that they were sort of like very you know grassroots in that kind of approach but is there any other kind of like standout funny moments or like music moments that you guys think of was there anything, Andrew, that you did find funny? You said you didn't find much of it funny. <laughs> yeah. But... No, I, di- I didn't find the gnome thing funny. Because I thought about this, uh, like, idea of these people in uh, kind of desperation. And I felt like the, the, the point of this would kind of be, you know, it's terrible what's happened to this town if only, one of, if only we could get a job. And then they're just, like, sabotaging... Um, yeah, yeah that, that's a moment where I'm like, I'm not on Team Gaz. Yeah, I'm not on Team Gaz when he's sabotaging Gerald's interview. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the visu- clearly a jerk. The visual yeah. of it I found funny, but I was questioning, why are you doing this? <laughs> what is going on here? Because Gaz is an awful human being. I think, like, what's I, in- Robert Carlyle is incredibly charismatic, and it's actually kind of funny to think of this and train spotting, where, like, train spotting, he's playing this force of nature monster psychopath. And for most of Americans, he like, his defining role is being the lovable Del Boy-esque charmer at the start of Full Monty where like as you point out but he's, he's also uh, like omnibrit I don't know if he's played a uh, a Welshman but I'm, I'm almost certain he, he, he would have he, he's played a Scouse right and he's play, here, here he's playing a Yorkshire man and he's obviously played a Scot um, yeah. he's played a Scot a number of times um imagine he is a scot right <laughs> it does it does seem like they're building up in the film to him kind of like being a better father as well which never really comes you know it's the fact like i don't like chinese of course you do and then just nothing else you know he doesn't take an interest in what is your son interested in? what does your son like is this like yeah no his son just kind of has to be the bigger man and almost become the father in that oh, situation i mean I, f- I feel like if anything he will have learned the wrong lessons from this it's like I need something else like this. <laughs> um, eventually, he's going to rob a car. Yeah. And uh, the, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, not, not, not to bring in the Disney He's not going to be like, oh, I, I, should, uh, <laughs> I need to get a nine to five now. <laughs> um, Settle down, get a job, wife and family. It'll be, like it, I feel like, it's like it'll be a while before I need that 700 pound again. I'm and, okay for a while. And I don't get a criminal record as long as I'm under 16, crucially, as dad said. Yeah. Um, but like I, I do think not to jump into the Disney Plus series. I actually do like the before. He's like, yeah, no, Gaz never becomes a good parent. Like the thing about like watching the Disney Plus series is that it jumps forward in time, and he has just like it's it's not like oh well his family love him. It's like no, he is pretty much exactly where he was in this movie. And I know part of that's the function of nostalgia, where you want people who watch the movie to jump in and see Gaz as they saw him on the on the on the movie. But I also do love that like it's like no. He never straightens up and flies right. He's always going to be a bit of a loser who is always going to be an embarrassment to his family. And Nate becomes a cop. Um, oh. Yeah. That's a twist. 
that makes me because like that was going to be one thing we ask is uh are you inspired to watch a disney plus series i definitely want to if only because i do i am a big fan of a lot of the actors in this uh, which David wasn't sure if all of them returned, and I had to convince him. No, no, they—they they, all six of them are back. Yes, uh, even though you know, again, there's a sense Tom Wilkinson is maybe not at his healthiest, so he mm. films most of his scenes Guy inside. Isn't a- back. What? Guy isn't back. Uh, he's back for half the series before he got fired for exposing himself to a runner. Oh, um, Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's very clear, like, late in the show that they replace him with the character played by Bruce Jones here. Bruce Jones from Coronation Street has, like, a one-scene role in the movie. And he comes back for no reason whatsoever to suddenly get involved in the... I'm sad. Well, I'm glad... No, I'm glad, because we were talking about we, we've missed Bruce Jones. Yeah, but that is an example of, I find, a weird gag in that film of just, like, just this strange moment in which they're like, just, what about if there's this character who just comes there with his kids and, like, has to have this shameful moment in which he can't even, like, become a stripper and then he just has to awkwardly walk away. I was just like, yeah. what is this? I, am I meant I to feel sorry really for affected. him? Am I meant to feel it's funny? It's, like, it's I so actually odd. found that really sad. I found that, like... Yeah. I too. That's a what moment, I thought. I was like, a moment that was genuinely moving. Every, like, yeah. Everybody else got to be a stripper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even, even people yeah. who were very uncomfortable. And, no, and apart Reg from that idiot who tried to run up the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reg didn't get his one crap. Andrew is waiting at the climax of the movie for Reg to jump up on stage. I don't want to. Like, no. Like, I feel like the small part of the movie that he's in make, make, makes it sad. It's also sad that he gets rejected. Just to remove him entirely from the movies so that we don't feel sad and yeah and it's it's sad that they play uh, i feel that they play up that moment for laughs and it's in this mo- montage of kind of like oh and let's look at all the funny things that happened in this situation but yeah i think from your description there darren i i'm not usually a fan of things that kind of jump forward in time and have no progression for their characters whatsoever i know a lot of people also don't like oh well off screen development or off-screen big things that happen but i'm like i like people to change i like new scenarios i don't like to just retread oh well they're just doing the exact same thing as before so yeah i'm not sure if that makes me more inspired to watch the series you know, maybe maybe talk about it in a moment but i think in terms of funny moments that i liked i love the line dance sequence like it, it's the iconic moment from the film it's the moment that charles yeah. uh king charles chose to to reproduce in the dole queue uh also famously going to be cut from the movie it was a scene where they almost when you cut... said line dance i was thinking i cannot remember any line dancing <laughs> in, in in this movie you mean a dance, in a, in, yeah, a dance in a line yes where they're standing in a line and they do a dance Right, yeah, but it's not line dancing. No, <laughs> no. Okay. And it's not the ballroom dancing that Gerald does. Yeah. I, I, I think this is where we've identified Andrew's similarity to me, where it's picked up on like the literal meaning of a word. Yeah. It's just extrapolated. <laughs> it's like, no, if you're going to make this meaning, say it right. <laughs> the cue dance sequence is what you're talking about. The, the cue dance. The scene where they are in an arrangement of people that is straight. You understand that, that line dancing means something different, right? Yeah, but it's also a so clever bit of wordplay. So when you say line dancing... Yeah, it's playing off your I knowledge I gave of them the, the out! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, again, love that sequence. I find it incredibly charming. It became the movie's iconic uh, scene, I think, arguably, which is yeah. quite funny, given that it almost wasn't in there. Um, I think, like, and again, it's... It's a moment that doesn't fit in terms of story or narrative. And and again, that weird tone thing that you mentioned where like the movie goes from 
one of the characters trying to kill himself. That moment where Reg talks about feeling emasculated while he slowly strips off his clothes in front of a bunch of other men. And then on the other hand, you have this triumphant moment of hot chocolate playing and Gaz realizing that maybe, maybe, maybe this crazy scheme of his is going to work. The funny thing about it as well is that, like, um, Gaz um, and Gerald and Dave... Uh, know each other from the job centre. And as far as I can tell, like Horse and Lamper were strangers who at the end of the movie are friends who queue in the uh, in, in the dole office and who go to the job club so it's like where, where were they not aware of each other previously i thought lumper was the security, guard, the security that, the, guard yeah, yeah. so yeah. they do technically know and i i i guess where that's where some of the more like absurd moments and and that's where it maybe stands out as a comedy there you know like when they're in the door queue and they're kind of like you know like um dave is doing the thrust and everything just the random appearance of a brass band like right at the start of the film when they're like running away from something and just a brass band appears from around the corner i'm like whoa this is very like monty python-esque of like what's also going on are the brass band feel, the police or something i don't know but it feels it's like, like a bit of a shot off the bow of brass off to be fair it does yeah. feel a little bit passive aggressive yeah right, so. i also just love that they decided to make that one joke at lomper where they they all practice the like the striptease song in private somehow and then just start playing it to him. Yeah. I'm just like, this this is very good for a practical joke, but this seems incredibly choreographed. <laughs> Maybe we should have been putting the same effort into the dance we were doing on stage. Maybe that would have been a good plan, a good strategy. I wonder if there was anything else going on before they got on stage and if anything will happen after. <laughs> you mean in the yeah, show? Yeah, just spend yeah, a tenner like, for like a yeah. two-minute segment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are no other outfits and no other dance routines. Yeah. There is no further song. It's 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 basically you paid five five quid a minute. Is yeah, what now, play now, like, now, now drink and play pool and whatever for the rest of the evening. <laughs> yeah. Like go out and have a smoke occasionally. We don't have to entertain you for anything beyond the three and a half minutes that this takes. Maybe, was yeah. it Reg? Is that maybe that guy just comes up and does the entirety of the rest of the, the <laughs> show or something? I like feel that. like this is this is what you play. You you do your three and a half minute full Monty routine in like a small room, and then you build it up that you have a full hour. <laughs> flesh out this your is material. their tight five. Yeah, yeah. You want to work on a story. You want to add a story and an arc to it you know yeah to be fair we don't know what time the audience went in and what time <laughs> they then performed <laughs> so it might have just been like the sort of bear baiting they did in like the jeremy kyle audience they just kept them there for a while and just like angst them up and then just eventually <laughs> we'll let them all out they're like yeah <laughs> and because for and a again, bunch of people they knew who weren't very attractive they were very keen to see their penises <laughs> i I again this is one of the things where I kind the movie earns enough goodwill that I kind of let it off if I were being more skeptical of it I, I would probably be a bit crit- critical but it's it's the I love that community that sense of community ending where it becomes like a bonding moment for the entire yep. town to and come together It's not necessarily for their titillation no. as much as like for their embarrassment but also at the same time their support Yeah it's pride It's like I want to see you making a tit of yourself and also well done for like you know giving this a go yeah and we want to applaud you 
And I think that's what is one of the strengths of that. I suppose the only thing I kind of wished was like a bit more that Gaz was like, you know, rather than just the whole, like, which is obviously the basis of the film, like we're going to do the full Monty. But I was surprised there wasn't more of an element of kind of like, well, you got these big, you know, like strippers who are do it, who are very kind of unhuman, like in like how ripped they are. Why, why do the women not want to see just an, a natural man, which you kind of get with Dave's story, etc. But I, I was surprised they didn't play that up a bit more. They could have gone a bit more into the fact of like just, you know, their attraction just to the average guy. You they know, weren't kind of smart that. enough, Dave. That's why they didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, this is an audio medium, but we have those sorts of bodies. Us four. <laughs> not every man well, does. Welcome to the 250 podcast where we talk about men's bodies. It's one of our <laughs> big motifs. We're glad that we were able to bring you guys into it. It does feel appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel a bit objectified. I was not on board <laughs> yeah. with this. I'm the only one wearing baby oil. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> something else. I mean, you did bring four leather thongs, which is <laughs> difficult given that two of our guests are here remotely. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I, I refuse to pay for next day shipping. <laughs> okay, take those audio, uh, audio and video cassettes, rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So this week I'll talk through the behind the scenes and by that I mean the behind the scenes that have not already been discussed by Darren uh, because the first two I literally had on here was the fact that the original cut of the film was originally too short, so they had to uh, they had to add some more shots. The shots they added were the football and the exercise montage. Uh, you'll note that Robert Carlyle is not in that sequence. The actor was busy working on another project by then, as well as, as was stated earlier, that um, it took Alberto Pasolini and editor Nick Moore to rescue the film, otherwise uh, 20th Century Footbox were not going to release it. Now onto my favourite segment, which is who could have been involved in the making of this film? Uh, we've got a couple here. So the first direct, uh, so one of the directors who was offered the opportunity to direct this movie was Danny Boyle, uh, but he turned it down because he wasn't impressed with the story. I don't know at what stage this would have been if it was literally the painting of the electric pylons. Now on to the character of Gaz, and there are a number of people who they considered for the character of Gaz. The first choice was Nicholas Lindhurst, aka Rodney from Only, Only Fools and Horses. He turned it down on the basis that it would have been too cold at that time of year to take your clothes off. Other actors who were considered were people like Hugh Grant, Hugh Bonneville, Lee Evans, Ni uh, Nigel Planner, and also Rick Mail, of all people. Um, insofar as the character of Gerald, um, there are a couple of other people considered. Uh, Russ Abbott was in, uh, was potential was asked, but was not free. Uh, Richard Griffiths was considered, and also peering a lot in this segment, Alan Rickman. I'm not sure how I would have feel felt about Alan Rickman in that position. Uh, however, in a role reversal, instead of who couldn't have been in this film, it's what would what one of the actors could have been in instead, which is ironic. So Tom Wilkinson uh, was in the running uh, considered to be uh, playing the part of Lovejoy in Titanic, uh, but chose to play Gerald instead. Titanic and The Full Monty uh, would compete at the Academy Awards for Best Picture and Best Director the next year. Oh, what could have been for Tom <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about the final scene, because I think there's a lot that obviously goes into the 
behind the scenes of the final sequence, the actual stripping. So the choreographer of the film was lying in front of the stage, out of sight of the cameras, just shouting instructions to the actors themselves. Um, they did, in fact, perform a full frontal tripsies in front, in front of 400 extras, uh, as well as a couple of the prominent cast. Uh, the director described it as a one-take deal. In order to help the actors with the stress of that scene, uh, they were all allowed to drink on set, uh, which made it awkward because the the kiss that Gaz put on his son was not scripted, resulting in the actor's perplexed reaction. It was no rehearsal, no practice ahead of time. They just did the one performance uh, for a lucky crowd of women and a couple of men. Finally, we have two more facts. So one is lighthearted. The other one is darker. Which one do we want to hear first? Because I will say them both. The lighter or the darker? Let's go Grave like Fire. Dark light. Yeah. Start dark. Dark light. Want to start... Yeah. Yeah, start dark and light. Start dark and light. This is the uh, Grave of the Fireflies, My Neighbor Totoro uh, double bill. Yeah. Oppenheimer Barbie, yeah. Principle that we've, yeah. Cool. So specifically, um, the question was asked earlier about how much money would the uh, performers have made. Someone did calculate this. So at £10 per ticket and 400 people in attendance, that's £4,000. Six divided between six dancers because um, they didn't have um, they had already be, uh, paid for for the venue. It arounds to six hundred and sixty six pound and sixty six pence each. Gaz needed eight hundred pound, which means that Gaz did not raise all of the money he needed. He needed seven hundred for child support and a hundred to pay back Nathan for the loan for the venue. So he didn't reach that. Which means either he gave Nathan back his money and just did not have enough for child support or he just didn't pay any of them. So that's not great. However, the fun thing, we talked a little bit about uh, about British slang being rife within this film and how American audiences might have dealt with it. Well, a number of American cinemas had special leaflets uh, printed containing translations of the slang so in some situations, they would understand what is being said um, so they could fi- uh, follow the dialogue a lot easier. This has also been followed by uh, a variety of different other projects, including the Xenoblade games, in which they have a lot of British terminology in those games. And often they have ge- there are various game shows, which is, is this British or Xenophus? <laughs> I love the idea of like maybe in a cinema, like a little subtitle coming up, like check your cue cards now. To, like, <laughs> <start> like, <"What's-> <laughs> I, mean, I also do love the alternate train spotting-esque ending that Craig kind of suggested there, where Gaz just takes the 7,000 pounds and runs away, leaving the rest of the male strippers past Certainly out. his plan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just no way he'd get away with it, right? <laughs> could I could I also maybe rec- like suggest something that might make that darker idea? You know, he could potentially have raised the money. Is maybe if the bar owner give them a cut of the money from the bar? But then, why would he do that? That's like not- well, they he's, they've brought in all these customers for his pub, so yeah. maybe he would give them like ten percent. You know, I'm thinking apprentice logic here. Maybe you'd give them like fifteen percent from like the alcohol. Sales. Yeah, but I don't think he, I, this is Britain. Like he would have made a lot of money on alcohol that night. 
Unless it was just the, the five-minute show we talked about, <laughs> which everyone would have then immediately I, left and not spent any money. <laughs> I have a suggestion um, after after the um, the climax. The bar owner uh, takes out his microphone and says, "If you like that, you can you can now um, book your private dances." <laughs> 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 and and that's where he made up. That's the where shortfall. the extra money comes from. Yeah, yeah, in the high roller room, hustlers. <laughs> one that stands out to me as well well two that stand out to me one is that the actor could have been in titanic tom wilkinson i can only imagine then in my head him being in warner david warner (laughs) in the role of jared here is it i'm just imagining him then combining these two films together he's there on the titanic like in one of those like posh ballrooms and then just leonardo DiCaprio or like was it Jack and Rose just winding him up with two gnomes in like the the you know portals or things he's just there like Argh. no this is no this is the the pure Titanic full Monty mashup we need which is just watching the ship and then you just uh you just have Dave on the side there it's like oh that'll never hold it'll never hold to f- <laughs> <laughs> that that would be dark the, but, the quartet takes a moment and des- decides to play hot chocolates uh, <laughs> uh, yeah Tom, Tom Jones was on the ship, like, yeah. singing. <laughs> the Titanic wouldn't have went down if there were that many steel workers. On. That's a fair point. <laughs> they would uh, just get to work. And... <laughs> Nick, Nicholas Linders just looks around the Titanic and says, it's too cold for this. <laughs> um. Well, that uh, wraps up our trivia for this week's episode. So now we go to our final segment, which is the Movie Vault. So for anyone new to the podcast, we'd like to think of this as a time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future. So we're going to use this opportunity as we're kind of like halfway through the year at this stage to catch up on what has and hasn't gone into the Movie Vault this year to kind of help give a barometer of uh, quality, if, uh, if you could say that. But Into the Vault so far this year has gone 7, Demolition Man, Battle Royale, 21 and 22 Jump Street, and The Muppets from 2011, while Rush Hour, The Running Man, The Live Action Thunderbirds, Night Before Christmas, and what? Brain Dead, uh, Night Before Christmas, the oh, Netflix okay, original not, not, okay, starring, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, sorry, it was uh, yeah, okay. recommended to us, and Brain Dead uh, <laughs> haven't made the grade, unfortunately. So, should the Full Monty from 1997 gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? For me, I this is the uh, usually after I've watched a film, I've made my mind up, or well, not made my mind up, but I'm pretty sure what my answer is going to be. And sometimes I can be swayed by the episode or discussion. But I think very much I was kind of like after it, like I don't know, and I think I'm still in that position. So it's all up to you guys. <laughs> so um, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, uh, Darren, you've talked a lot about like legacy and you know like impact of pop culture, but also like you said, you had previously seen this. So I'll go to the other person who had seen this before, uh, whereas uh, Craig and Andrew hadn't. What 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 do you think? Um, I've listened to a couple of past episodes and I just want to, because I'm a boring guy who cares about rules, I just want to establish a couple of things about the vault. Oh, Thank if you. you ask it for rules. I, I, oh, I, I'm, I'd like, like, this is the most exciting part of the podcast. For yeah, me. yeah. Um, forget about the toy, about the movie. The vault, as I understand it, is a TARDIS. You have an infinite amount of space in there. There's not yeah. like a, a finite position of like 250, say, spaces. No. Yeah. You can put as many movies in there as you want. Second question I have, which is like, can you take stuff out of the vault when it's already gone in? So if we you have, 
You yeah. have. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Okay, grand. You know I'm starting a social campaign to get a couple of those films out. <laughs> oh, of yeah, here. Demolition Man. I think you're, you're yeah. anti-Demolition Man, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I am not a fan of that film. <laughs> I want to, to abolish or demolish Demolition Man, it's, which is not a position I can abide, to be clear, but I terrific. respect it. We're we, pro-Demolition Man. Pro-Demolition Man. Awesome. Yeah. So okay. far, we have one person who is on the fence and one person who is still in the cross-examination phase. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm taking Craig's debate, uh, debate, co- debate coaching heart here. Um, no, I think if we're making an argument for this movie, and I guess it falls to me to make that argument, what I would say is, in my awareness of like what the mission statement of The Vault is, it's the idea that you would dig this up and it would write a snapshot of the history of cinema. You would look inside and you would see a treasure trove of movies that would provide you a cultural canapé. Um, that you would like a rich sampling of the cultural diet. Now, looking at your back catalogue, and I may be wrong here, I don't see too many representatives of 90s British cinema in there. You, I don't see we, yeah, I agree there, with for that. example. Right? So yeah. my logic and my argument for the full Monty would be that you should have something in there that represents this moment. Something in there that offers a snapshot of what it was to be part of that 90s British cinema moment. Now, I would argue that maybe that should be train spotting, but you haven't got there. And let's be honest, you don't know if you ever will get there. It's your what movie you cover next is is a game of chance. It's luck. Not only does somebody have to bring the movie, you have to choose the person who brought the right movie to get it in there. So you may never get the chance to put train spotting in the vault. Now, in this moment, you have the opportunity to put The Full Monty in the vault. A film that while not as good as train spotting, while not as impactful as train spotting, while not as culturally significant as train spotting, speaks to the same cultural moment, has you, a similar level of cultural impact. This is a train spotting placeholder. That's exactly it. So you can, at any point in the future, should you choose to put something like train spotting in there, should you choose to put something like four weddings and a funeral in there, you the can reach in being held. and you can take the full Monty out. But you may never get that chance. And you don't want somebody to dig up this vault thousand million years from now britain in the 90s never happened and completely miss (laughs) erasure completely miss cool britannia that that is not a fair thing to impose on a future generation and that is the argument that i would make in this room right now for our children (laughs) for our children's children Last time you wouldn't have been able to hear this because, again, of the the scheduling, but we had a very impassioned speech for kind of like, you know, why a film should go into the vault um, from, you know, from a place of kind of love. Here, I love the kind of logical approach (laughs) there, you know, like kind of like trying to convince, you know, a a president of, you know, why they should do something. So this is my jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we want. You know, I love it. Because people keep saying to me what they think debating is. That is literally (laughs) what my debating is. It's like, look, these are the rules you understand. And here's how my argument fits within those rules. There you go. You listen to my argument. I'm like, yeah. I, I will point out that I think human traffic is still in the vault, though, from where we did talk about British cinema purely because we had a sort of British ah, filmmaker on. And is is it safe as f***? Or, 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 <laughs> or could it, like, be displaced? I'm a fan of human traffic. I, I like I'm, human traffic I'm worried lot. about going back to it and, and not liking it. But I, I remember liking it a lot. I like it, but... I was shocked it, at how much I liked it. Does I was it like, speak to the cultural moment, Anne? Like, if you were to lay out a, a array of British films in yeah. front of an audience, do you think that they would go to Human Traffic before they would go to the Full Monty? If you were to take a snapshot of Cool Britannia, well, I, do you I, think a Full Monty... I think if, if, if you're creating something for the future, you have the opportunity to, to um, uh, 
create an alternate history. You, <laughs> you know, cultivate taste. Yeah, where 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 we, you're saying your your obligation is not to reflect history as it was, but history as it could be. Yeah. So you're like you're working at the BBC archive and you have like the the like all of these old Spike Milligan shows and, and Mr. Like, Blobby and I'm the just other gonna hand. throw these out. Yeah. And and then like they they like we have full Monty, for example, because it was rescued. Sorry, sorry, we have Monty Python yeah. because it was rescued. But we could have human traffic Instead. because it was put in a vault. Yeah. Um, uh, aside from, from the nuclear winter. Aside from human traffic then, Andrew, so like I said, you came into this kind of more, you know, not as impressed by the film. What what right. do you think? Maybe even think, just on the context of the film itself, even outside of, you know, impact. Yeah, I think like like briefly in terms of kind of the impact and the category of the movie. I think there's tons of movies that you could put in place of 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 but none of them the are full, here now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 that's a that's a great story to tell to future generations. It's like there 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 were lots of these like uh, big uh, UK movies, kind of at this time, like and even before that, like I would be more inclined, I think, to put to put four weddings in um, than uh, than this. I I I think if you save this for the future, there would be um, a complaint from um, our um, descendants. That it's not uh, good enough, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, um, and 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 that they would they would feel our kind children of, will judge us. Yeah, they would be like, "What? Well, you you were really crazy for this one, weren't you?" You know, will, will of, the alien um, overlords that find the vault will they judge us for not maybe, having Hugh Hugh Grant? But you know, like deciding to go with <laughs> Robert Carlyle is a superior choice. I'm just going to say it. I would say no. Get it out of the vault. Like, don't don't. <laughs> it isn't don't in the it, vault. <laughs> don't, don't like no. But like Darren is like place it in and said like Darren has kind of put it in there and said let's just pretend it's there it's okay it's not hurting anybody <laughs> it's <laughs> not I'm taking up space let, let's, let's, let's you can take it out later it's not taking up space <laughs> you will never out. get another let's chance let's take it out in. now in case we forget what <laughs> I look Whoa, what okay. I would say what I would say is I, I think there is something about full Monty in comparison to train spotting insofar as I think a lot of people look at train spotting and think of it as, you know, fantastic representation of British cinema for the time that talks to the people. What I think Full Monty is able to do, and I think justifies its place parallel to that in the movie vault, is I think it establishes a lot of norms that people build upon to create better films, right? So I think it has it tries to focus a lot on that sort of working class British charm, the relatability specifically between the characters in ways that I think other British films have been able to build upon. And I think we have honoured a lot of films in the past for being the basis to which a lot of better things have necessarily come. Obviously, with that in mind, we've obviously had to justify whether or not that film on its own also represents a lot of those factors. And I think we all agree that it doesn't represent the best, but there's a lot of debate about whether or not it represents those elements at all. I think more of us have said that there's a lot of grounding here, which is actually quite valuable in and of itself. 
that I think should be recognized. And I would personally advocate for it to go in the movie vault. Well, I think also that a lot of the conversation sometimes, again, comes down to like, well, this represents that, this did this for cinema, etc. And sometimes it is like, well, it did all this, but is it a good film as well? And I think that's where, as well, you know, where Andrew's coming from and where I'm thinking of... Yeah, that's what I've literally said. You know, it's a kind of like, it's a fine, mediocre movie. And is that good enough on its own? Can, but, can I push back on that? I, like, I know it's not a yeah. great movie, but it's a mediocre. No, no. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll withdraw I, mediocre, but I think, I, like, I don't think I, it's mediocre. No, 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 I'll I, say yeah. Like, I have added that to the record. <laughs> it, uh, it may not it, be struck. In. It, it, it is now it on is, the film canister. If it goes in the vault, it now has mediocre written on it. Yeah, it's in the mediocre section. Perhaps all on its own. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, it, it's like I said with Rush Hour earlier, it's it's good. It's fine. It's like, so is that good enough? But I think, to be fair, I think that we've spoken about enough moments in this in which it does overcome that. I think that there is enough like things which we said, I didn't find this film all that funny, but there was that moment or there was this performance or there was at least that bit of representation, which I appreciated. So... I will agree, I think, with Craig and Darren in the sense, I think, taking even out the cultural impact away and, I don't know, maybe the fear-mongering from Darren, they're like, well, maybe you'll never get this chance again. But I think that... <laughs> I object to that it, characterization. I joke it, I wish it's stricken from the record. No. Uh, I, I will add something to that later, I would say to Darren's point that I think even if a train spotting or for when's a funeral was to go in, I do think that this can still stand alongside it to say... As I said earlier, it did start this chain of movies. Like the, I still can't believe it was you know nominated for an Oscar, and I think that there's a lot to say about what we were saying about like the the steelworkers aspect. And if you looked at something like Billy Elliot, would that represent that kind of like conversation and that cultural shift enough? Because maybe that film is a bit more dramatic. I think that this is more on the kind of drama comedy light story level enough that it represents kind of British comedy in quite a nice way, which. Billy Elliot, I wouldn't say like, oh, well, that's a, you know, a barrel of laughs, whereas this could be taken as a barrel of laughs. We'll have our chance to have battles of face off very soon. But yeah, I think it's been argued quite well. Into the movie vault goes uh, the full Monty. Um, it's a fun time. It's not mediocre, I'll say that. That doesn't go on the canister, Darren. And uh, yeah, I think that it does represent quite a lot of like, elements we've been talking about but it does have quite a few key moments it's not a perfect film as we said but again as craig said that we've advocated for films again in the past that aren't perfect which might have better stuff in there and maybe the vault needs that maybe you need to watch some of the okay stuff to see the better stuff as well we're in the endgame now okay endgame time this is a game very simply called all laid bare so Obviously, the big selling point of this film, in comparison to a lot of other films, is the promise of the nudity, the full Monty, we would say. It's also worth noting that a lot of films get panned because of the use of gratuitous nudity, so nudity for the sake of nudity, which is why I very much want to focus on films that have nudity, that have some deeper meaning to it, that use nudity in a very impactful way to tell their story. So what I've done is I've gone surfing across the net and I found a list from complex.com, which is the top 25 most important nudity in films. They have ranked 
uh, 25 films, 1 to 25, insofar as how important and impactful their nudity scenes are. And what we're going to do, using a random number generator, is I'm going to tell you the name of a film. I want you to guess what rank between 1 to 25 it might be. Okay. So this will be your uh, this will be your way of earning points. David okay, and is will it have like closest one, I'm going over closest one, to one being the most important nudity in and yes, one being in the most important, and then twenty five being the least important of these films. On the list, okay. This still gets on a list. <laughs> That's, yeah. yeah. All right. I like so that you managed this... to appeal to us by having a, a list based question. I, I, I we do feel welcome. Thank you. But obviously in this situation, we need to know what it is that we'll be playing for. So as usual, it will be the opportunity to choose the epi- uh, film that we discuss next. So in this situation, I believe David and both of our guests have a film suggestion. I don't this time because I like to give David a chance. <laughs> David, t- tease everyone with what your film would be. Okay, no pressure. My film is from 1997 and... I've chosen this film again because of our guests often talking about the top 250 and the bottom 100. This is definitely something that would fit within that. I'm pretty sure it's within one of those lists. I won't say which. But the main way it links to what we're discussing today in terms of the full Monty is when we think about stripping and these type of shows and, you know, those kind of like dramatic, uh, sexualized performances that you get what are some of the things that we think of we think of like specific body parts this film is very famous for having a very specific body part on show and a lot of people really have issue with it it also has quite a open view to kind of showing off money which is another thing people take issue with in one particular scene in which money is showed off and used to kind of like pit characters off against each other. And there's one specific item that people really don't like in this situation. And then on top of that, there's obviously just the idea of the kind of like elaborateness of the jokes, of the puns, which this film goes all in on. So that is my suggestion for this week. So we have David's suggestion from 1997. Let's ask Darren. Okay, well, we're going to go back a couple of years. We're going to go to 1995. I think this is a, a film that is in some ways quite similar, but in some ways quite different from the movie that we talked about today. It is a movie about bodies, objectification, commerce, uh, the relationship that exists between them. It is a film that is an outsider kind of looking in the same way that, you know, this movie was the work of an Italian producer looking at British culture and trying to say something about it. This is the work of a European filmmaker looking at a quintessential American culture and trying to say something profound about it. Uh, I think that, you know, it is a movie that maybe didn't arrive with the same rapturous praise that the full Monty received, but I think has been reassessed uh, in recent years. Um, and, you know, if not considered a classic, is, is considered something of a, an underappreciated gem. Um, I'm not going to say more about it, but uh, I think I think it's very closely related to the movie that we've talked about today. Okay, interesting. So we have Darren's film from 1995. And finally, Andrew, your film. My movie is from 1996, so I think we've had a 97... Literally (laughs) all three. And a 96 uh, uh, film. A film that's that's, uh, quite similar to this film in a number of ways. I think it's a film that is genuinely sexy. 
in 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 a way that this is uh, I I I think maybe shies away from. Um, I think it, it's 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 another film that's about a um, a town whose uh, industry is shutting down. It's it's a film about. Um, a male space being uh, taken over by a woman. It it also um, relates in terms of casting to the movie that we spoke about today. Interesting. Okay. So we have the entire Chan, gambit. Chan gently. So, <laughs> not, yeah. We have the t- the entire gambit from 1995 to 1996 to 1997. I just also I'm really intrigued if all of you have chosen the same film, but all. <laughs> but one of you have got the year wrong <laughs> different release, <laughs> different release yeah. Dates, yeah i did think darren was talking about my movie <laughs> um, it was also a movie that 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 wasn't maybe kind of as as lauded as as, as it as should have been or has been, been since yeah okay interesting but obviously before we get to know which of those films we discuss we have to play the game as usual if you win you get to choose either your own film or one of the films that have been presented in front of you in case you either are interested by david's premise or if you feel sorry for your friend who you've beaten in the end game which has happened a few times <laughs> okay so we'll be doing seven of these so you okay. won't get to see all 25 so your first film is shortcuts okay so i actually think of in terms of the nudity that it portrays um because it is it's a body isn't it i believe it's so de- yeah it's a dead body okay i am am i going to go first and andrew goes second i guess yeah, yeah i think what we'll do each round is we'll alternate who goes first so that yeah. so you even chances. avoid the prices right situation yeah so I'll, I'll go i'll say 22 okay so you've gone for 22 andrew your guess is the asshole moving in prices right move uh a rules to go 21 or 23 because <laughs> that's what i want to do <laughs> andrew's out to win <laughs> I'm, I, I shouldn't explain the game theory because i think it will determine what your answer is <laughs> I but admire it, 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 Andrew. As somebody <laughs> who just clarified the rules of the vault, I admire <laughs> how you're approaching this. So, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just say uh, twenty-one. You, you said twenty-two. Yeah? I said twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the correct answer is thirteen. Good hustle, Andrew. Okay. So that is one point to Andrew. Good hustle. Now it's my uh, goal. Now I have to choose if I'm going to be as big an asshole to you as you were to me. Okay. Film number two. You have Velvet Goldmine. Ooh. Ah. Okay. 1998, no? Or it's after train spotting, anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um,. I'm gonna say twelve. Oh, very smart! You're going for twelve. Okay, very smart. I did choose whether to go over or under. That's very well played. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with thirteen then. Bear in mind, we've just had thirteen. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? That is his final answer. <laughs> he said thirteen. This is Andrew's it's price, 14, in, price is right to. moment, in which yeah. he goes, "Yes, give, do the wrong answer." 
<laughs> no, but if I'm guessing, like, if it's guessing it's closer to, if it's anything below 12. Yeah, yeah but you should yeah. realistically be trying to guess the correct <laughs> well, yeah, placement on the list. I, I, I see his logic there. So. Andrew's, Andrew set the tone for this game. Um, you automatically lose if you're stupid enough to pick one that's already been uh, <laughs> oh, <that's> drawn. <laughs> okay. okay. 14, then. Let's go 14. Okay, 14. I, I feel like he has to stick with 13. All right. <laughs> oh. So the correct answer is 10. Good as Landry, oh. two down. Oh, I love if like him changing to fourteen had like altered <laughs> it. Like, it was like, oh, it would somehow there were two thirteens on this list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It only changes all the time. Yeah. It's like the two fifty. Yeah. yeah, it's like the alternate timeline thirteen has entered. <laughs> Eastern promises. Oh, ah. All right, I'm going first. I'm I'm gonna go. Let's go with a eight because it's got a lot of penis on display, a lot of flaccid penis, multiple flaccid penises for an extended period of time in a non-sexual context. I am gonna go with eight. Going for number eight. Okay. This this is the most important nudity. I was thinking this. I was like, it depends what they define as important, well, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's one of the things where if you need to, if you want to know their logic, I would. Look out for the article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to rank. So, like, dead body is, like, dead body was, what, uh, 13? Dead naked body was 13. I'm like, so several flaccid penises has to be higher, right? I feel like with a listicle, it, 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 like, they, they can't just say 25 instances of nudity. <laughs> <laughs> look, rank them. I'll, I'll be honest. I tried to look for a list which was, like, times in which people get nude in films, but for some reason nobody wanted to car- <laughs> catalogue that online. Yeah, Google is like, we yeah. think we found what you're looking for. Yeah, Craig's Google ads are very, very interesting for the next Oh, a lot of porn was suggested. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Safe search off. <laughs> uh, Darren's guess is eight. Like, I do feel like this is in the top ten. And, and okay? Yeah. Um, seven. I, like, I really <laughs> want to say seven. And not, not, not just because I, I kind of want to go for eight as well. But, like, that's not going to win me any, any points. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll, say, I'll say six and risk that there'll be, like, a tiebreaker and it is number seven. Okay. The correct answer is fourth. Oh. <laughs> well played, Andrew. So Andrew's three. You get one more and you've won. Oh, wow. Basically. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this would be incredible if you win now. <laughs> I know. This is the ultimate comeback narrative. We have, se- we have seen comebacks happen. I'm Gaz backstage right now. I was like, this is going to be a movie quiz. This is the one arena where I know I can probably match Andrew. And they're like, no, it's nudity. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking when he was talking earlier about like the lack of like nudity in this film. I was like, well, yeah. Subject, yeah. 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 I'm like, you want to go, Darren? Let's go. Starts taking off his clothes. Which he put back on after showing off the leather thong. Anyway, okay. next, next Are we film. ready for number four? Number four. This okay, is your so to win, Andrew. this film... Is basic instinct. Ooh. And it's my turn. Yep. Yeah. Number one. God damn. You're going it. number one? Yeah. I will go two. Okay. So the correct answer. Fifteen. What? what? Yep. <laughs> it is surprisingly low. <laughs> 
Put, like um, there's an entire vagina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, all right, Grant. So I'm back in it, baby. Yeah, it's like gradually working out the logic of this list. <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe it's male anatomy is like yeah. the food. Well, male anatomy <laughs> is is rarer, but also like vaginas. Like vaginas are anyway. Three nil is the most dangerous score. And Number one is a risky one, one just because you can't get above. But yeah, then that's... also, like, say, I go for yeah. two. What if it was one? It was yeah. Like, yeah, so. it, Andrew, if you had gone for two, I probably would have gone for one, and you probably would have won. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Okay, next film. Bad Lieutenant. This is the Harvey Keitel original, the Ape, uh, April Ferrer one. It's right? not Bad Lieutenant, Port, Port of Call, New Orleans. New Orleans. No, yeah. no, no. It is. It's the, that, the first one. Okay. And this is to me. Yeah, and this is because Ferreira, it features right? yeah Abel Ferreira. It features um, Harvey Keitel penis. I mean, at this uh, point, I'm just impressed you've seen everything uh, that we've mentioned yeah. so far. I mean, look, I am I am a professor of the peen, um, <laughs> uh, an expert in European cinema. But um, okay, Wait. so, so um, okay, we know male nudity typically ranks higher, but we've already had several flaccid penises. What were what was Eastern Promises at again? Can I get a check on? That was fourth. That was fourth. I'm going to... Lucky number seven again. I'm going to go for seven again. Okay. Number seven. I'm going to go higher. I'm I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go like 14. Oh, lower. You're going lower. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Higher number, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So the answer is 16. Ooh. Congratulations, Andrew! You win. Uh, so at this at this point, uh, it is just playing to see what the final scores will be. But yeah, we do have a winner at this point. <laughs> okay, we're extending the humiliation. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I'm I'm now I'm now like Reg. I am now stripping slowly in front of the audience. <laughs> okay, what's what's next? No, Don't worry, that, that that's just me <laughs> when I do these end games all the time. It's just it, like, it is can, true. Can I achieve a point. That's it, usually it, what I have. It's like Reg, but it's also a Bronx tale where I lock the door and it's like, now you can't leave. <laughs> okay, uh, the next one is Boogie Nights. Oh. Andrew to start. Ooh. I'm going to say a three. Okay, number three. Okay. I obviously have my favorite numbers. I was going to say two because it has an erect penis, doesn't it? <laughs> Which is obviously think, better than I two flaccid penis. Erect penis. Is it not erect? It's okay. like is it semi? Okay, semi erect. So okay, so maybe maybe I'm over it. It's it, it's 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 pointing down, right? Is there a question of realism in that in terms of production? But oh, there we go. It's okay. not so I don't know whether Mark that Wahlberg's penis though. Oh, okay. Crucially, okay. like mo- mo- a lot of penises in movies are the the actors' penises. They, I'm just um, waiting for a number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've both given numbers. We have both given numbers. I yeah. will so, are those my... are your final... So I know, obviously, three is the final answer of Andrew Darren. Is yours actually going to be two? or? Okay, fine. I'm going to switch. I'm going to go seven again. Why not? Uh, you give him every chance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like not I know, and I'm, I'm still going to lose. Watch. <laughs> anyway. The correct answer is 11. Okay. All right. Dignity. We're at lo- we're at losing with dignity stage. All right, hit me. Final question. Final film. Antichrist. Oh, okay. Oh, this is <laughs> one we just mentioned. Yeah, speak the devil. So the uh, I'm gonna say was it Willem no, we, uh, <laughs> actual erect penis in Antichrist? Okay, I I'm gonna go with a two on this one then I guess because um, I figure it's gonna be pretty high. You're ejaculating blood. Um, 
question is whether it's two or one. I'm going to give Andrew the option going for one. Well, I'm going to go for two. There have been this like absolute raft of movies with like blood and ejaculate since it's it's a huge cultural marker Um, yeah yeah i think it is important i I would say mad max blood and cum yeah yeah i don't put this (laughs) sorry no apologies it's okay so andrew what is your guess I, I I would put a minus one, but I'll I'll put, I'll, I'll put a one. Yeah, so you're going for one. Yeah, it's the it's 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 the movie that everybody has seen. <laughs> mm. I like watched this, and it made me feel really yeah. like uh, yeah, sick. sick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah, we do not have time to talk about it. I'm not a big fan yeah. of Mr. Von Trier, but sorry. No, no. I excitingly, I, one of you is spot on. Oh. And what I've decided no. is that because one of you is spot on, oh. no, I will award two, two points. Potentially. No, he He's 100% I think it's Bonus points are very common in these games. Yeah. So yeah, I, It's also my game. I can change <laughs> the rules as much as I want. Plus also adds drama, adds suspense. <laughs> the correct answer is two. Oh. <laughs> that means we go to one final film. Sudden death. There is every opportunity. This this is the the underdog story now. This uh, this is. No. <laughs> Some would say the flaccid Andrew penis is becoming erect with moment. suspense. Nine, How dare. nine, nine! How dare this challenger keep going? <laughs> no, nine is eyes wide shut. <laughs> I'm just going to cross that one off. <laughs> okay, the final film, and this isn't going to be one particular person goes first. I just want you to shout out. Your answer as quickly as possible. Blue Velvet. 12. 12. Uh, okay. Oh. Uh, 11. 15. 15. Okay. Yeah, that works. 11, 15. <laughs> okay. So, bear in mind, 11 was Boogie Nights and 15 <laughs> was Basic Instinct. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are good. also. What was the original answer? They both said 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're under a lot of pressure. And I already That's the won. problem with process of elimination as well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to shout out? What I would say is the random number the random number generator has given us a lot you, in the middle. Well, giving, l- just it, list I, off what we have had. I, just so I, then. I can tell yeah, by list. the fact that you're asking if people want to go again that Darren is about to lose. <laughs> I'm, I'm, am I wrong? <laughs> let's just list okay, the numbers we've had. Let's list, list the numbers we've had. Let's list <laughs> the numbers we've had. Here are the numbers. Right. Here are the numbers we've had. The numbers that we've already had are 2, 4, 9, 10, 11, 13, 15, 16. That's it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not happy with 15 then. I'll, yeah. I'll even You're more likely to be correct. Yeah. 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 So do you actually want to just take the answers of 11 and 15? Just yes. Just- that, okay, that's just, yeah. I feel like that's Even though closest. statistically I'm I'm unlikely to get it, but I I I feel like that's yes, what makes it a true victory. Yeah, right. The correct answer is seventeen. Oh, what an upset! What yep. a fix! Uh, <laughs> we, I gave you the chance to change your answers. <laughs> All right, and you know it's a very what? quick. Go sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry. No, go ahead I was just going to say to very quickly blitz through this list just so that everyone's not left in suspense. Can we just add, can we just put a guess to that one which you 
pointed out to me just what people for the barometer of this list people okay. can try and guess what that is so right? one of the films on this list is schindler's list <laughs> yeah <laughs> what rank do you think schindler's list is on this? 24 I, yeah i was gonna say i think it's 20 it's the one that warms up the crowd it's like it lets you know what you're in for i was gonna go 25 it, but yeah it, it's 14 <laughs> okay just to go through this list very quickly yeah, 25 is mash 24, Last Tango in Paris. 23, Salo. 22, Carrie. 21, American Gigolo. 20, The Shining. 19, (laughs) Cannibal Holocaust. 18, Porky's. 17, Blue Velvet. 16, Bad Lieutenant. 15, Basic Instinct. 14, Schindler's List. 13, Shortcuts. 12, Showgirls. 11, Boogie Nights. 10, Velvet Goldmine. Nine, Eyes Wide Shut. Eight, Requiem for a Dream. Seven, Monster's Ball. Six, The Dreamers. Five, Borat Cultural Learning of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Four, Eastern Promises. Three, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Two, Antichrist. One, Shame. Ah, <laughs> That's just Craig's that opinion of that list. No <laughs> sense. That, 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 like, how does that rank? If I were an editor, Bad I would have list. questions. <laughs> Am I right in thinking now that the 250 is gone and you guys are doing this list as yeah, your new exactly. half a year? We're just covering this list. Yeah, um, exactly. You have inspired us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms of films that we are covering, Darren, you obviously are the winner of this game, so you get the choice. Do you want to go with the film you would like to suggest, or either Andrew or David's film suggestion? Look, I'm a magnanimous human being in victory. I'm I'm willing to acknowledge it was a closely fought battle. That my companion gave Don't a good do it, fight. Darren. Choose your own movie. Uh, really? <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess I'm going to pick my own movie, which is Paul Verhoeven Showgirls from 1997. Excellent. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if you had given it to... Well, no, no, you wouldn't have given the choice to Andrew because then you could have just bounced it back. But yeah. <laughs> That's literally the film that... When I heard the description of yours, that's what I assumed it might have been at first. Oh, okay, no. But then went on and was like, oh, no, wait, yeah. Okay. So, I do so love that, like, it was just Craig observing the three answers going, all of these are showgirls, right? Yeah, that's why <laughs> I thought one of these is going to be showgirls. So showgirls, uh, you can catch that if you want to watch along with us uh, next time and uh, join in the conversation by watching it on Arrow. You can currently watch it there as part of your subscription there, um, or you can rent it in places like Apple TV, Curzon, uh, Amazon, uh, or as we have advocated before, things like physical media, etc. I'm sure it's out there on DVD, Blu-ray. Maybe that VHS store is lurking around somewhere that Darren was referring to uh, earlier on. So yeah, Showgirls is our next film, which is going down. Uh, yeah, a very strong connection from uh, the full Monty. So thank you for that suggestion, Darren. And thank you both for joining us today. It's been an absolute privilege. It's been fun to combine with another podcast once again and to uh see two podcast duos uh combine guys uh please do tell the people at home how can they listen to the 250 podcast where can they find you in terms of individual social medias or the social medias of the 250 whichever one of you wants to, i'm not sure if one of you covers social media bits and one doesn't yeah. but 
I I I do all the social media, but I, but I don't know what our handle is. It's <laughs> <laughs> because you have the app installed. You don't need yeah, to check exactly. It. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We do. We're Twitter at the two fifty. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, we're on Linktree, wherever. And how how is that spelled, by the way? At at the two fifty with at, actual letters. With actual letters, letters. like yeah. the two the English language two fifty. But uh, yeah, so we are. Um, so you can find us there. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and iTunes, wherever good podcasts are found. If listeners want to pop over, we will probably be covering. Uh, it's a near certainty that Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One will make the list. If it doesn't, in a week's time, we'll be back talking about either Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer or Greta Gerwig's Barbie or Boppenheimer. We'll figure out something or around both. that. Or <laughs> both. We should release both of those episodes in this. We should not release both of those episodes <laughs> in the same weekend. Um, but yes, you can check us out. Find us there. Um, so yeah, that, that's what we're up, where we're at. What we're up to. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it's been uh, really fun. A very fascinating conversation. We've gone through loads of stuff in terms of British cinema. We've even had a section dedicated to penises and cinema. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've talked about You're some welcome. wild, crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you. It's been loads of fun. Um, Craig, anything lastly from yourself? I feel like there's one thing that's just been missing from this episode. <laughs> How did you I'm not, get the leather I'm not... thong over there? <laughs> yeah, there was one missing at the end of that film. We know what happened to it now. Oh, please. We know there's more terrifying things than me on, <laughs> on the internet out there. Hashtag Joan of Arc. Okay, so thank you guys for joining us. Uh, yeah, join us next time as we'll be discussing Showgirls. And uh, yeah, please do uh, check out the 250. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Bye Goodbye. now. Keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.